Oh my god, I'm just kicking the heck out of my desk now. Why are you kicking your desk, Drew? It's not nice. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm, I'm mad at it because you're not here at it. But I can stretch mm -hmm. my I can stretch my right leg out. Look at that. Ah. You can't. can't do that with Brian here. No, you can't. No, everything is hotter and less abundant and <laughs> abundant in space. We we both have we we both have um, leg needs. <laughs> we do have leg needs. <laughs> <laughs> we we've flown together and we we've struggled equally. We have indeed. <laughs> not enough, not enough places for our legs uh, to go. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely true. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, let's do this, man. Number fifty-three. All right. All right. Yeah. There we go. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 53 of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. And I am Drew Brown. And we are here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at Goulet Pens and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we are going to be talking about why pens are so often made out of plastic or resin, which sounds much better. Uh, we're going to talk about helping to increase the flow of a Platinum 3776, if there is a relationship between fountain pen use and neurodivergence. Interesting topic. Um, maybe what pens have the stealthiest snap caps, the quietest snap caps? And what back to the future moment would Marty McFly have to ensure happened in order to provide the existence of Goulet pens in 2022? Gotta say, never been asked that one before, but it was right up your alley, Drew. <laughs> Thought that would be great. We also got a tip on how to finish out an ink bottle and we get to spotlight the Sailor Pro Gear Riallo, plus plenty of turkey hammocking for everybody. So um, should be a nice fun show and we're gonna kick it off with some feedback. All right, we had no shortage of feedback this week and last week. Brian, we're going to kick things off with our friend Crystal. And in regards to our cake versus pie discussion, I won't say debate because you and I were on the same page mm -hmm. there, but uh, Crystal says, I have to agree with Drew on the cake versus pie debate. I'm a pie person simply for the consistent stability of pies. Fair enough, Crystal. Cake, when done wrong, are plates full of disappointment and sadness. <laughs> I've had cake that needed ice cream or coffee to be able to be able to chew and swallow it. Absolutely, wow. I completely agree. Um, if both are set before me, however, I'll almost always reach for the cake first, though I'll be steering myself, though I'll be stealing myself for possible disaster. So Crystal agrees that the, the, like there's a risk in cake because it can be completely inedible, but you still you still try for that for the hope that it will be just that beautiful immaculate cake. Ex just I don't perfection. Know, I don't know, wh I don't know so, where you and Crystal are getting your cakes. This is some very extreme sounding stuff. I have never had cake that's like, I have not been able to swallow without ice cream or coffee or something. I'm like, I've had cake that like, okay, this isn't like the best cake I've ever had, but it's all been good. So I don't know where y'all are getting your cake, but I guess I just have, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I either have less discerning taste than you all do, or I just happen to come across better cake than you all. I mean, I think I think you eat with a, a more utilitarian mindset. Yeah, that's than probably true. Some some other people I've met before, Mr. Bag I don't of Apples, have a very refined palate. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't either. Well, not not refined, but I don't. I'm definitely not a uh, super taster, whatever they call them. Yeah. I can't pick out 
you know, hints of something in, in a meal. Mm. Uh, something has to be really, really spicy for me to notice. I never pick it. up notes. So notes, notes no, are not something that I know. I'm like, yeah, this is a, my wife this is, is like chocolate that. cake. She can pick up <laughs> anything. Yeah. I'm pretty basic. My wife is very sensitive. So our food is always way too bland mm. for me. So I'm just like dumping red pepper flakes on everything <laughs> we make at home. So nice. anyway, uh, we got another piece of, feed, uh, piece of feedback from East Wind. And again, cake versus pie. Drew's cake versus pie argument could be made for pens as well. So ballpoint mm. pens. Even a crappy one is going to write and be reasonably reliable, like mm. my definition Maybe. of pie. Fountain pen. The valleys are very low, messy, and frustrating, but the highs are just sublime. The best ballpoint pen has no chance of beating it. And therefore, I conclude, fountain pens are the cake of the pen world. Everything else is just pie. And <laughs> pencils are cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> no one gets I love them. that. <laughs> I really love that. I think that's a great parallel. So what, and I, and what, totally, is, what is a Yooker's totally then? Where does that fall? Oh, no one gets it. It's like tiramisu. <laughs> Nobody gets it. Okay. Nobody gets it. It's its own caddy. It's like brownies. Um, and then finally, category. exactly. It's on okay. an island, on the, on the Isle of Yuk. <laughs> um, Greg says, Drew, the, ex the expressions on your face when Brian dips into the deep woods on a topic is so funny, you're doing the best you can to hang with him. <laughs> Maybe you should get some of those popsicle sticks with notches and erect some structures, man. <laughs> Keep up the great work, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes i don't i it's not like i get bored i just i don't have anything to contribute when brian gets going so uh oh man you made me tear up with that one yeah, that's true um so you know maybe maybe I, I do have some of those popsicle sticks at home my, my son has a little craft okay. corner and he, we do have some of those popsicle I wouldn't, sticks so. i wouldn't be offended if you did that i'm <laughs> this is this is how it is at home with rachel with my kids pretty much whatever i'm into if i'm talking about it i'm talking to someone and i'm used to like just that that At face someone. of tolerance of just the conversation <laughs> and it's it's usually not until i can see that it's like drained the life force out of rachel and she's actually actively starting to lose consciousness where i'm like okay 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 i'll i'll, I'll shut up now oh, or she, or she, okay maybe, maybe i'll maybe i'll bring in some maybe i'll bring in some popsicle sticks and that'll be like my cue to you yeah. to like all right let's 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 move this along when i start building you know little lincoln log houses or something like that <laughs> it's all good uh but no that that uh that got me you know what's funny uh east wind said or no greg said brian deeps di dips into the deep woods coincidentally some of your long uh, chats are literally about, about the yeah, deep woods I wasn't, sure, I wasn't sure if that was a play on words or meant to be like literal <laughs> it might have been either way i yeah. love it uh no you just keep being you my friend yeah well we love it we'll just keep piling on this train I get whatever metaphor because uh, Beth <laughs> wrote us a little, a little, I don't know, uh, dialogue. dialogue. So Brian's kid, dad, will you please help me with this math problem? Brian, sure. Math has a long and interesting history. 40, 45 <laughs> minutes later, still Brian. Now, given that all we know about math, can we really consider it a problem? Kids, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty true except um the part of this story is the kids have never come to me for a math problem to begin with oh yeah, they would just go right to rachel because they know they know what's right um, <laughs> as many people do in rachel's life they just come straight to her because she is uh usually has the right answer and she's usually the more responsive one and if they come to me they know that they're going to get a lot of pontification and question asking and a lot of tangents and things like that so you know we all have our strengths right <laughs> 
Absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then Rena says, I'm so glad that Brian brought up the penmanship book. So Art of Cursive Penmanship by Michael Saul. I got one a long time ago after Brian featured it in a talk. I have changed my writing and still do drills. Props, Rena. That's awesome. But your handwriting is better than mine because I did drills for like a couple of days and then I was like, yeah, I'm time for this. But it's all good. Um, and then Michael, regarding the Vista, says, okay, you convinced me. While it seems a bit strange to be sitting here in Germany and ordering a lobby pen from the USA, I have done so, my first demonstrator. Of course, I had to order a few other bits and pieces to justify the shipping costs. Well, Michael, thank you for the support. Yeah, I admit that is a bit funny that you're having to order from the US to get a pen that's made in your home country, but you know, it's exclusive. What are you gonna do? But hey, you're probably one of the only ones. You'll be like the coolest person around me. Like, hey, check out my Lamy. And people will be like, oh, I've seen that before. You'd be like, have you really though? Look closer. And they'll be like, whoa, I can't even. Michael, you're just too cool for me. That's exactly how that dialogue's gonna go. <laughs> I think I think there's no other possible sequence. All right, here we go. All right, that's it for feedback. And now on to some new stuff. All right, folks. Well, we got some new stuff, stuff that's coming soon. I'm going to start off with something that was actually new last week, but we were like waiting for it in transit and Drew and I debated. We were like, oh, it's probably going to be here by Friday when this publishes, but we never know with the COVID life, post-COVID life here, what the supply chain is going to be like. So um, anyway, we do have the Diplomat Elox in purple. So this is black and purple. Very cool. So it's based off the arrow you know, model, if you will, very similar dimensions and all that kind of stuff, except it's got those cool inset uh, kind of colored rings. So it's already come out in orange. Now they got one, they have one in blue, and now the next one is purple. So very cool pen. If you like the arrow, you know, you're gonna like everything about this pen because it's very, very similar. Um, except, you know, if you're, we talked about this before, it's a very tactile pen. So if you're actually touching the rings themselves, you'll feel that kind of indentation of the colored portion of the ring. Um, personally, I like tactile things like that. Other people, it bothers them. Just be aware that that's one where you're definitely gonna feel the, the difference in the color there. We did a pen of the week segment on the blue Elon. Yeah, right? this was maybe a month ago or so, something like that. I don't remember what yeah. episode, but yeah, so we did talk about that. Um, extra fine through broad, stainless steel, Yovo made nibs, great nibs. It's a great writing pen, $212. So it's, you know, a little more on the premium side for a stainless steel pen, but it's a rock solid pen, very durable. The, the plating, like everything on these arrows is just impeccable. I mean, the quality uh, control is fantastic on these. So, uh, and of course the cap, we're just, gaga over the arrow capping. So I'm um, a big fan of that. My favorite thing about this pen in particular is the grip section, just the mm. all purple grip section. Yeah, really like- For whatever reason, out. like I love the orange one, I love the blue one, but I think that the purple grip just mm. looks so vibrant. It does. Normally the anodized aluminum pens, mm. I think they, they, they lose a little bit of vibrance, uh, but this one is just- it's it just pops. Yeah. It's just we had done so punchy. We had done a purple arrow a while ago. I think it was an exclusive of ours, or maybe it was a timed exclusive. I don't remember, but um, it was a little more of a magenta. This is like a more true kind of a purple. Um, so it's very yeah. very pleasant it's color. I like it a lot. Really nice. Really violet. I yeah, think. and it's got that like kind of a matte finish to it. So 
Great pen, great pen. Um, also got a new pen from Sailor called Storm Over the Ocean. So this is on all three of the Pro Gear models. So depending on which size and budget you have, you can get them in all three sizes, all the nib options that we normally would have for these Pro Gears. Um, so this is gonna be a dark blue body with a very, very fine silver shimmer. So it's got a little bit of a, a glistening to it, which mm. looks so good. I'm noticing there's a couple of like, Sailor's got one, I got Pilot one to talk about, next so there's a couple other companies that are doing some very slight shimmer and i'm, I'm digging it i'm digging it because it's not like the the banu like punch you in the eyes chunks right. of glitter kind of thing <laughs> that you get um it's very very subtle I mean, you know what i'm talking about if you've seen some of these pens um but it's very very subtle i like it i like it um so anyway and uh and it's got lilac finials so that dark blue the lilac just complements really well and it's meant to look like well, a storm over the ocean and kind of like the, the contrast you get with like the dark ocean and the lighter clouds and stuff like that. So kind of cool. Um, so we got Do you think there will be another over the ocean? Because they, they had uh, sunset mm. over the ocean. Oh, good question. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm wondering, is this, I is didn't it, know it was going to be a series, I know. but is apparently it, it is. Is it a series now? Does two make it a series? I don't know. Right. That was my question. I don't know. What else could be over the ocean? Do you want to wager a prediction? Oh gosh, I have no idea. I mean, technically, anything in tornado. Space, tor Her, or, no, what, tornado. what's a tornado shark, over the shark, ocean? Shark, that doesn't happen. Sharknado over the ocean. Yeah, there you go. That's the only possible. It could happen. Option. Yeah, there are like water jets and stuff that'll fling fish onto the beach. That could happen. Yeah, water spouts. Yeah, rainbow trout over the ocean. Maybe I don't know. Done. Rainbow yep. trout. But we can recommend that. We'll reach out to sailor. I don't know if that's a saltwater fish. I don't know. Oh boy, I'm outside. I'm out, I'm out of my depth. <laughs> I don't, I don't know fish. Uh, <laughs> you've fished before. I've literally never stuck a fishing hook in the water before. Wait, you've never never in, Surprisingly enough, never in my life. Grew up in central Virginia, never fished in my life. Yeah. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Is this one of those things that, that like, never happened? Yeah. It's weird. That's like me and Seinfeld. Right. Except I it just, have, it just never happened. Except like, I, berate I'm sure you, you have nothing... I berate you on a regular basis for not having watched Seinfeld. Nobody has okay, nobody well, me I... about not fishing. Oh well, you now now someone will. Congratulations on that. I don't know. Next next time you mention me not seeing Seinfeld, I'm like, okay, Fisher King. Tell you what, I will go fishing with you while we watch Seinfeld. How about that? <laughs> okay, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that actually does sound pretty pretty fun. <laughs> Though we probably wouldn't catch any fish because um, we'd be laughing and yeah, obviously listening to whatever. I don't know. Um, maybe there's some fish that don't spook as easily. I don't know. I know enough to be dangerous with fishing. Not dangerous. Anyway, tangents. Okay, and then moving on, uh, the other <laughs> new product I have to talk about. This is a, I don't even know if I say coming soon, but they uh, did announce, Pilot announced the limited edition Vanishing Point for 2022. So it's coming in September. Is that soon? It's July. I mean, it's a couple months so. away. Yeah, soon, two months, sure. Um, which is crazy to me that it's July already. We're halfway done with 2022. Drew, what like Jeez. the heck? I don't understand how this is happening. Um, but anyway, it is, so deal with it. Um, anyway, they announced the new color. It is called Red Coral, and it has a rhodium trim like many of the VPLEs have had. So this is a numbered limited edition. They are only making 2,022 of them as they do every year. They make, you know, so they account for population and demand growth by one person per year. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I haven't seen this in person yet, but looking at the pictures, it looks like a pretty darn vibrant red. Like it's very, very bright 
again, got a hint of shimmer to it, just like I mentioned with the storm over the ocean. So that's kind of cool. I don't know that I've seen, I mean, we've seen the vanishing point. They had like the um, twilight and other ones that were like ombre color, but I don't think I've seen any with shimmer on it. So this, this first that I can recall, it's very possible they've had some regional somewhere that has had shimmer to it, but uh, this is the first I think for me. So I don't know, pretty neat. I think it's kind of cool. It's not going to be for everybody, you know, because it's a bright red pen. Almost looks, I don't know, Could you could argue that it even looks pink. I don't know. This is one of those things where it's like, I really got to see it in person because depending on how it looks in digital form, you know, the color could shift a little bit depending on how it was uh I actually adjusted. hope it does look a little bit more pink. I think that would do better. That would, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? So. I think if it was more, I think if it's more true red, it won't be as popular as if it were more it's tough. Pink. Yeah, it's tough. Red is one of those colors with pens that is like hit or miss. Like Green used to be that way. And then we've did. discovered it that did. that certain greens can do really well. We yeah. haven't yet discovered that with red. Red, it just yeah, I think, it hasn't happened yet. I think like maybe it could one day, but it, it hasn't happened yet. I think it depends if you consider burgundies and, and like Merlot colors to be reds. I, I would, I would consider it to be like kind of dark red. Ugh. This no, this gets those, into those like the, is the turquoise a blue kind of a thing? Like weren't we talking about? Yeah, this I'm, last I'm week? talking yeah. about as in terms of what has traditionally not ever been a top selling color. The just the true more traditional red. Yeah, plain like like just plain bright reds. Um, yeah, yeah, those, those have never done I, super well. I don't really know why. Honestly, I just don't know why. Like it's not an unpleasant color. I'm sure just for pens. I remember I remember taking a color class um, in uh, my college and learned all about that but i don't mm. remember anything i don't remember a thing about that class oh, cool. but it, they they went all into it about like why every fast food place is yellow and orange. oh yeah red. yeah like the, uh, the there, there there are all these reasons for the, it like I, emotion I that it evokes kind of a thing yeah like red yeah, red is like intensity and it can be like passion love romance anger like like it's kind of an intense feeling oh it's yeah it's definitely intense yeah and then uh yellow i think is urgency and, you know, so, I mean, I think a lot of fast food restaurants, you'll use a lot of yellow so that you're, you like want to eat quickly and then get out of there. That's basically. And so McDonald's is like intense and urgent. They want you to get the heck out of their restaurant so more people can get in. Most of them are, most of them have red and yellow in their logos. It's not by accident. No, no, I know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, All right. Yeah. So anyway, the VP Red Coral, it's, it's going to be a bit of a price jump, $300. So you know, it's like, ooh, again, not going to be for everybody, but for especially those who have collections that have been happening for a long time. I mean, I've got ones going all the way back to, I think, the first year that we carried Pilot, which was in 2011, I think. Yeah, with the pink. Was that the pink that one? was the pink one. That one was cool. Yep. That one was like a bright bubblegum pink. Um, so it looks very different from that one. But um, maybe that one had a little bit of glitter to it, if I am thinking about it now. I don't... Oh, you know what? That I think it might, might have, have now that I'm thinking about or it. It was... If it at least it was very pearlescent. It was a little pearlescent. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see so in person. I don't know if it was shimmer or pearlescent. It was. Yeah. It was definitely. It wasn't flat paint. Once sure. once we get the pen in hand, maybe we can show them side by side. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, medium nib, cool. eighteen karat gold. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's what's happening with the VP. Drew, what have you got? One new thing, or I should say, two new things are two new Estherbrook JR pocket pens. They mm. have continued with their Paradise collection and added two new colors to that uh, situation one in key lime one in purple passion and mm -hmm. just like their original colors in that collection they have uh 
finials and uh, you know on both pens that have uh, different color acrylic. So the purple has a tiny little finial disc in the green acrylic. The green has a tiny little purple finial uh, that matches the opposite pen. So they honestly look really good together because they use a little bit of each in both of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, they are very, very fresh, summery vibe. So mm. they're perfect for the season. I uh, think the Estherbrook JR is a really underappreciated form factor when it comes to pens, Brian. Mm. It's really, really comfortable to hold. I don't think it gets talked about as much as it deserves to be, mm. but it's one of the most comfortable pens, I think, uh, that are being made right now that uh, mm. I would probably say the Bold. most... I would say it's probably the most... Uh, with the Edison Ascent, um, one, one of my top underappreciated form factors mm. because I love the way the Ascent feels. I love the way the JR feels. Okay. And I just don't think they're in enough hands for them to be uh, appreciated as much, but they, they do feel really good. They're super comfy. Okay. You like, for me anyway. You like, them, you like those deep posting caps. That's what it is. I do. That's what it is. You like, I do. You like I definitely like do. That. Yeah. For sure. We also, bah, 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 new annual pelican edelstein ink this is something that happens every year it's exciting every year we get a beautiful new edelstein ink last year was golden barrel right brian oh yeah or oh yeah that was a big deal that was very that was a very interesting ink this one is called appetite the mineral not the hunger pang <laughs> but it uh is a teal and tur tealy mm. turquoise tealy like oils. A dark teal yeah yeah and not Super unlike the actual mineral. I looked it up. Uh, some of them are more blue, but they're just a, there are certain ones that are very very tealy. So a good representation, a little bit more traditional. If golden barrel wasn't your thing because of the heavy heavy amount of shimmer in there, this one is going to be a more traditional, more consistent writing experience that we've seen in previous iterations of the Edelstein annual editions. So. Hooray for that. They're always beautiful in a gorgeous, gorgeous bottle that is always exciting to empty and keep for other random knickknacks and things like they that. They do have great looking bottles. It's like one of the best. It really is. And then we're going to be getting in some new inks from the Sailor Manyo collection. Ooh, and yeah. these are always really fun to use. I haven't gotten my hands on these yet, but when this video is live, I will have written with them. I will have swabbed them up, and I'm also going to be doing some different swabs on different types of paper so that if these do have any sort of multi-tonal chromo shading properties, those will be on display for you to check out mm -hmm. as well because these Manyo inks do have a tendency to bring a little bit more to the table than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. So. I'm pretty excited about getting my hands on some of those. The Manuel inks are a little bit pricier. They're uh, $24 a piece for not a ton of ink, but they really do look stunning. A lot of them are colors that you just can't find replicated elsewhere. So I mean, in a way, I think they no, deserve no, the- Manuel the, uh, is a 50, 50 milliliter, right? So it's a it's a it's an okay volume. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's the, not the it's not like Ink one, Studio. Yeah, the Ink Studios are the ones that are Ink Studios tiny tiny. That's yeah. twenty mil. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's a little more. But the Manio is yeah, it's still it, it's not like it, private reserve size, but no, you know falls, it's it, not. Yeah, it, it falls into still I think the premium group. Yeah, ink, it's smaller. But, it's not like Diamine or Noodlers or Private Reserve. Yeah. But then again, I guess those would could be considered larger volumes. So I guess medium. I think 50, 50 mil is like. The, I would, I would consider that to be kind of the, the standard. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of the middle, middle You're of right. pack size. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Either way, I'm excited to get my hands on them, mm -hmm. and you can too as of the publication of this hair video. Nice. 
I'm, I'm sad that you didn't uh, try to speak about it as if you'd already used them since you will have done that. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. There's, there are eight colors. I definitely don't have all eight <laughs> names memorized. So I would have to just mouth words and insert them later in post. There you go. <laughs> or you'd have to speak very generically in a way that could just cover any scenario. Right. Yeah. I was, my breath was taken away when I used that first ink. Just oh, the first couldn't one, yes. even yeah. I just couldn't even put it into words. And then that honestly. other one, oh, the other one when I man. when I when I put that on the paper, it just my eyes saw it. I mean, it was just and like nothing went, else. And it went right <laughs> onto the paper. It was on there Immediately, and it stayed. The longer that I let the ink sit on the paper, the more it dried. I mean, it was really impressive. One hundred percent. It was incredible. <laughs> what an experience. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, so that's some new stuff we got. You can always check out new arrivals and coming soon on our website, gulepens.com, um, because we are updating stuff there all the time. And now we're going to move on to some Q&A. Okay, Brian, we are going to kick things off today with a question from Chris. All right. And Chris is asking you, mm. you're going you're gonna to head this one up. Why are so many pens made of plastics? Does the market demand plastic pens? Mm. Do manufacturers find plastic easier to work with mm. and thus exert their influence upon the market? Mm. Does plastic have advantages over metal? Um, Chris, you pretty much answered all your own questions. I think- Oh, congratulations. I think yes is the answer to basically all of these to a degree. Um, it's a very legit question. I think for, you know, you could pretty much apply the use of plastics to pens as you could to a lot of things where plastic could be advantageous for a number of reasons. I think a lot of these things apply. Uh, I think specifically in the world of fountain pens, actually, so like my own kind of history with finding out that people liked resin pens more uh, was when I first got into it, I was making pens out of wood. And in order to do that, you have to use a lot of metal components to hold like kind of structurally hold the pen together because the wood's not very strong, especially when it's that thin. So I had to use a lot of metal components, even if it wasn't parts that you were touching that were metal. There was metal like like brass bushings and, and things like that that I would have to glue behind the wood to reinforce it and all that. So there was a lot of metal in there. So um, I had a lot of experience with heavier, larger you know, pens and stuff like that. And in general, people don't mind heavier, larger pens with fountain pens. But what I found is that people who are using fountain pens a lot, kind of the hardcore users, when I was making these heavier, bigger pens, like some people were okay with it, but a lot of people just didn't prefer them. So I think absolutely there is a component of preference um, to perhaps lighter weight pens. Uh, and maybe maybe not so much the large size that turns people off, but large size and a heavy material that then translates to a heavier weight. So I think the weight component has a lot to do with it. Um, so definitely the light weight and, and kind of just strength and durability all around of, of plastics, particularly in the use of scratch resistance and... You know, if it's a really thin plastic and it's kind of brittle, yes, it could get crushed if it's in your pocket or something like that, like a platinum preppy, not the most durable plastic. It's a really cheap pen, so not surprising. But, you know, most fountain pens that are made of, you know, pretty solid resins, they're going to be pretty darn durable and last a really long time. So that's a huge, that's a huge thing. And, and also just chemically too, you know, it's like when I was making pens out of wood, oh man, if you get ink on them, if you get, you know, any type of cleaning agents or that type of stuff, oh, right. it's just not great. Um, plastics though, I mean, very rarely do you get any type of actual damage that comes from plastics, unless it's some kind of solvent that actually dissolves the plastic. That's a problem. 
But as long as you're not just slinging acetone and things like that around your desk all the time, which is not going to be good for anybody anyway, pretty much going to be okay with most anything you run into. So, you know, even if you're using like, you know, most general cleaning agents you would use to clean up your desk or whatever, you're going to be pretty safe um, with most plastic pens. Um, it's also highly customizable. So when you talk about colors, like mixing different swirls, patterns, even just chunks of stuff, putting glitter in it, glow in the dark, you can add all kinds of stuff to plastic to get aesthetically all kinds of different effects. So it just gives, you know, manufacturers a lot of versatility, but then also, you know, us as pen users, pen purchasers, uh, we get a lot of options aesthetically when it comes to resin pens. Um, and then just, yeah, from a manufacturing perspective, plastic is softer on tools, so it's easier. You can, you know, some plastics are injection moldable, so they can mass produce them, get them much, much more economically produced. Other ones that are like cast materials and some of the swirly stuff, um, you know, thinking like Edison pens and stuff like that, that you typically think of with cast resins. Um, those are much easier, much gentler on the tools. And so the, the time to manufacture and just the wear and tear on the machinery, uh, is far less than it would be with, with a lot of metal pens. Um, and then just like, I think in terms of holding the pen, especially like where the grip is and stuff like that, I think kind of not, not everybody, but across the board is generally preferable to have some kind of resin, uh, as opposed to like a slick metal because metal doesn't absorb anything. So it's, uh, you know, any oils in your hands or anything like that, it's going to make the pen feel a little more slippery. You're gonna have to grip it harder. It can make your muscles a little more tired, especially if the pen's already heavy and stuff like that. So just in general, all else equal, if you're writing with a metal pen, that's a little heavier, you know, it's going to be a little more taxing on your hand than uh, a plastic pen would. So a lot of these things kind of come into play. Um, but, uh, you know, I think some of it's maybe manufacturing, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, pen manufacturers are going to make whatever it is that people want and whatever people are willing to buy. I mean, will it be economical? You know, it's up for debate, but, um, you know, there's a huge range of prices and materials and stuff that are used in pens. So I think there are some manufacturers that specialize in certain materials and stuff like that. You know, I'm thinking of a company like, uh, oh, let's see here. I know we've worked with some, you know, like smaller makers and stuff who focused on metal pens. You know, I think more of like the everyday carry type pens that you see, um, you know, like the Traveler's brass pen that, you know, they make it out of brass and that's all they have, that kind of a thing. But there's others that kind of do a mixture of both. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's... Uh, I think about a lot like Lamy. Lamy's got a mixture of both, um, you know, but, uh, you know, look at a company like Edison, like they specialize in resin. They don't make any, you know, pure metal pens. Not that they couldn't, but they just, they specialize. So I think that, that, you know, probably there's certain manufacturers that cater to one or the other, just because again, the, the manufacturing process is going to be a little bit different for one versus the other. But, um, I think ultimately if people wanted more metal pens and paid for them and it was preferable, then manufacturers would make more of them. Um, so I think, you know, to kind of sum it all up advantages for plastic over metal for fountain pen purposes, it's a little bit easier to manufacture for sure, which means it's often less expensive. The materials are less expensive and so on. Um, more color variety, a lot of options there with plastic, it's lighter weight. Um, you can make it translucent or clear as well, which you really can't do with metal, or you would have to do like cutouts or something you'd have to physically remove pieces like some of the, the Paniter pens that have like large chunks of them missing to make it, you know, 
sort of see-through, but you're not going to have a translucent metal. Um, so you get a lot of cool options with things like demonstrators in plastic you can't get otherwise. Um, and it's going to hold up better to direct contact with inks. You can eyedropper convert plastic pens, whereas most metals are going to have some kind of reaction. You know, not that you can't eyedropper all metals because some uh, are, are not going to, you know, like, I mean, gold and stainless steel, that's what nibs are made out of. So they're made for prolonged contact of ink, but you don't typically see solid gold or solid stainless steel pens. It's, it's more rare. You're usually using brass or aluminum or something else that will corrode with prolonged exposure to ink. Um, and then just the grip in the hand, I think is going to be more comfortable. So a lot, a lot of reasons there. I mean, I haven't like pulled numbers on it to see how many like of our pens are like plastic over metal. And there's a lot that are like a combination of the two as well. So it's really hard to say like, at what point is a pen more plastic than metal? Um, but I would say it's probably, I don't know, 80, 90% plastic or, or a major component of plastic. Just off the top of my head, it's, it's gonna be pretty dominant in terms of plastic. What do you metal. think is the most popular metal pen we sell? The popular metal, probably the Pilot Vanishing Point would be up there. Over the All-Star? Um, all-star is going to be pretty popular. Oh, it's hard to say because there's such different price points, you know, yeah, like, one, like, yeah, if we're doing, uh, you know, quantity. Yeah. Yeah. That's that one's, so that one's kind prob of tough. probably one of the, the, the metropolitan too is metropolitan. You know, yeah. There. Actually that metropolitan yeah. is probably going to be up there in terms of, in terms of popularity of a metal pen that, that actually probably would be the most popular a couple of years ago for sure. That one's, you know, declined maybe a little bit. Um, yeah, All Star would be up there. I think it's because people are realizing the Explorer is superior. Oh, or the Twisby Swipe, which I know you also love. Hey, there you go. Or like Pilot E95S, A twenty three. I mean, there's a lot of great pens. A lot of great pens. Well, we're comparing. Yeah, we're comparing really nice, like three hundred dollar pens to the Metropolitan. Well, like Pilot Pilot Falcon versus Metal Falcon. Like, there's a good example. Same nib. Yeah, people people very much prefer the regular Falcon. Yeah, I mean one. the the Metal Falcon was a hundred dollars more, fewer color options. It was much heavier. It did take a Con seventy though. That I will say was a big plus. I mean, still st still does. We still have them. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we don't carry. Yeah, we just continue. They're still around. We just continue the brown one because we just want to troll you. But, uh, <laughs> no, but but you're right. They don't. They're they're not super desirable for folks it's, it's more of a niche it's such a such a premium yeah it's more of a niche kind of interest i think honestly i think most of it has to do with just the sheer weight of the pens um and generally the price but you know doesn't mean yeah. i don't love me some metal pens in fact the traveler's brass pen i mean granted it's small but traveler's brass pen i freaking love that pen um and that's metal but anyway. the arrow is a pretty popular metal pen the arrow well. yeah that is a popular one too that is a popular one. So yeah, there's definitely really good metal pens out there. I'm not trying to like bash them. Maybe that's a maybe that'll be a good video, Brian. Mm. Metal pens. Okay. Just like know. featuring like good metal pens. The best like, metal pens we have. The, the best. objectively best. I mean, I can just visualize the thumbnails with, you know, metal some, pens. Some, yes. Right. I need to get a back. Beautiful. I need to get a backpack flamethrower like Bruce Dickinson. You know. Oh yes, please. <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right, moving along, Drew. I got a question for you. Okay. From Gorov. I have. Okay. I have. Uh, not I, but Gorov does. I have a platinum thirty-seven seventy-six century in a medium nib with less than adequate ink flow. I love it for its unique feedback, but the ink flow leaves a lot to be desired. Is there a way to improve the ink flow without taking it to a nibmeister? Yes, depending on what your issue is, mm. Gaurav. I have seen this before. 
3776's centuries with tines that are too tight together. And there are definitely ways you can open those up. Brian and I have both done it successfully and not successfully. Yes, I've broken the tip so, off of, one of my 3776 nibs trying to do this very thing. Yeah, so it's definitely a thing. And I would not recommend, if your issue is that the tines are too tight together, fixing it is, is a little risky. So when I say your tines are too tight together, if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, obviously I'm talking about the tines of your nib. And if the nib tines are so tight together that you cannot see any light at all through you know, the top half of the nib, if you have it dried and cleaned and you look at it yeah. right up to a light source, if, if, it, if the light is cut off like halfway up and there's none coming through, your tines are probably too tight. There's mm -hmm. other ways to check that, but this is probably the most simple way to check it. And traditionally, if a platinum has really stingy flow, it's been because of that from you know a customer care perspective, that's usually the mm -hmm. culprit. I'm not saying that's definitely the case, but usually more often than not. They do make them, I feel like they make them a little stingier just by yeah, design. Yeah, yeah, they can be a stingier. Um, I've, I've seen it more with the finer sizes because I think that platinum does that to help create that extra, extra fine line, especially with like the ultra extra fine. But, uh, that may or may not be the case. I don't know. It's just something that I've seen more commonly on the finer nibs. So one simple way to do it would just be to run a brass sheet, which we sell. Um, once the, uh, nib is off the pen, you kind of have to start it low and work your way up. Um, what you want to avoid at all costs, and this is what happened to Brian and I when we you know, mangled our respective pens, you want to avoid getting anything in between the tines to open it up, avoid moving anything back and forth up at the tip because the nib itself is made of gold and the tipping material is welded onto the gold. And if you have a nib here and you're trying to take your brass sheet and wiggle it back and forth a little bit like that, wiggling it here is fine. See how I have, you know, the top, my, the tops of my fingers are, um, the top of my fingers are not where I'm wiggling that that's okay because you're just wiggling gold or steel possibly in that case. But once you move it up here, the point that you're moving is going to stress the tipping mm -hmm. and not the actual nib. Yeah. And that it has a, it has an adhesion point, you know, it has a welding point and you can snap that. So not only can you snap it, but you know, less than that, you can just take the tipping material and it'll, the nib will still be straight, but the tipping material will be off to the left or the right, or sometimes it'll be just split right down the middle. Yeah. So. It's risky. Uh, I honestly wouldn't recommend it because you've got a really nice pen there. You've got a pen that if tuned properly by a professional could end up being your favorite pen, especially if you particularly like the way that nib feels. Um, the potential pros outweigh the cons. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, the cons far outweigh the pros. <laughs> forgive me. The, the, the cons are you, you know, completely ruining your nib. Yeah. Uh, the other cons, I guess, are you paying $35 to $45 for a nib tuning service. So yeah. uh, to me, the Nibmeister option is a really good option. And they won't just make it less stingy. They will make it 
really, really nice mm -hmm. too. Um, you'll also get to provide them with feedback on how you like to write, the angle that you write. So you are getting your money's worth for sure. Um, if that's what you want to do. And, and if you really love the pen, I think that it's worth, you know, 35, $45, depending on who you go to or what their current prices are. I don't really know right now, but, mm. uh, a good writing pen that you really personally enjoy is certainly worth that. In my opinion. Also, you could try a wetter ink. That's always a possibility. That does require some experimenting to, you know, try a couple different ones. You can always check out ink samples so you don't break the bank trying a bunch of different inks, but some inks are much more wet in their flow than others. And sometimes that can help. If I've had stingy nibs before, and I have, uh, I have sometimes played around with inks and just found ones that my pen seems to be happier with. So that's an option as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. And I know we've, We've talked a little bit before about usually on like less expensive stainless steel nibs and stuff about basically pressing down harder to try to intentionally spread those tines out. It's a little more questionable whether you want to do that with a gold nib because, you know, it's a little bit riskier. You have to basically push gold nibs further because they're yes. going to be softer anyway. So basically yeah. <laughs> when it comes to any type of nib work on gold nibs, not only are the stakes higher because it's a much more expensive nib and primarily the nib is going to be like the most expensive part of the pen too. So it's not like you can just swap out a spare and you're out 15, 20 bucks like you would with a stainless steel nib on some brands. You basically, if you can even get a spare nib for the pen, which you probably can't in most gold nib pens. Not with platinum. Yeah, you, you, you just have a lot less wiggle room. Like we find that when we've been adjusting and trying to play with gold nibs, like it's another level nib meistering gold nibs because uh, for one, you have to you have to push it further because it's a softer metal and it'll spring back more and stuff like that. So you get, you get less of a precise, you know, feedback when you're making adjustments and you have to kind of know what you're doing. And it also gives you less of an indication of when you're taking things too far. So it's like, you'll have to kind of, when you're trying to, to spread tines or add flex or, or do any type of bending of the gold in any direction, You'll always have to go further than you think to get it to kind of bounce back to where you need. But the point of taking it too far is only like this much further <laughs> than yes. the point you need the to first take time, it. And it's like you really, unless you do it a lot, you don't necessarily have a good gauge of like, okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, okay, now it's past the point of no return. You know, it's that's like that's 100% right the first thing that happened. That mm -hmm. the thing that happened to me when I first really tried to yeah. um, correct a mangled gold nib mm -hmm. so it was very very out of alignment you know it was like that and i said okay well i'm going to lower this one and raise this one and hopefully it'll go back to regular so i did this and it went and it was still crooked mm -hmm. went that and it was still crooked and i went that it was still crooked i'm like okay well geez i just need to go for it then so i went for it and it just stayed like that yep i was like what the yeah i, I feel like i was going a little tiny little tiny little tiny That's and then a, maybe yeah. a little bit more but then all of a sudden it's borked and nothing works so yeah it's Man, it, it, it can be tough. I, I know better now. I'm much better at it these days. But if this is the, your only shot at, uh, if this is your first time tuning in, it's not this. Uh, definitely, it's not definitely play around with steel nibs first, for sure. Yeah, and platinum specifically, like they their nibs, they use a little more gold content. Um, this is part of why their nibs are a little stiffer is because they, they kind of make them that way. Um, so when you're tuning them and stuff like that, you know, it's even more so that, you know, you don't, you don't get a lot of good feedback until you've taken it too far. So Drew and I have both very quickly ruined platinum nibs, messing around with them. We'd messed with some other stuff and we were like, well, let me just try this. And it was like, boom, immediately ruined it. And it was like, oh gosh, this is, 
this is something that's going to take a lot of practice. So, I mean, if you're kind of prepared for that, I mean, it's your pen. You can do whatever you want with it, but um, not the kind of thing that's the easiest pen for people to jump in and start messing around with themselves. So like Drew said, I think the risk versus reward ratio is a bit off on most gold nib pens. I think it's often better to maybe just leave it to a pro or just take it very, very slowly and be aware that your risk is in your hands. So cool. All right. Next up is your question, Drew. All right. Yeah. Yes, indeedy. Next up, we have a question from David. And David says, hey, Brian and Drew. Hey. Love all that you guys do. What? Oh, you so, said hi to so David. Hey, David. Yeah. So, oh, there so you go. David. That was very nice of you. <laughs> do you feel like there is some correlation between the fountain pen hobby or analog hobbies in general mm. and neurodivergency? As someone with ADHD, I find that besides having always been drawn to fountain pens, the whole analog experience really helps me organize and work more efficiently, especially as a composer. Hmm. I'm curious because Drew has also talked about his experience before and how writing things down can help. Thank you both again. I look forward to the pencast and Turkey Hammock Zone every week. Hmm. Thank you, David. Very cool. That's a very interesting question. So, I mean, I think that I feel like this is something that's in a very good way, getting talked about more in the last five years or so uh, than it did, you know, when we were growing up or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got some experience with this. We have, you know, definitely some neuro issues with ourselves and with our own families. So we are no stranger to it. In fact, you know, most everybody probably has family members or whatever going on, whether it's anxiety, depression, ADHD, you know, all kinds of, you know, personality stuff. Um, so yeah, there, there's a kind of a broad spectrum of things that this could fall into autism. You know, there's all these things, there's kind of a spectrum to all of it. Um, but I, you know, I don't really have any like firm data to show about this, especially related to fountain pens specifically. Um, just not enough of a overlap of like scientific studies or polls or anything like that. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some correlation between it because it just comes up more naturally, especially when you're talking about things like anxiety, depression, you know, these types of things. Uh, we hear all the time of people, especially who are journaling um, and using that as like a part of therapy, um, oftentimes recommended by therapists to start journaling and things like that as a part of therapy. Uh, so, you know, that is definitely something that we have noticed getting talked about a lot more. Um, you know, Ryder Carroll and coming up with the whole bullet journal method, that was a lot of his inspiration with some neurodivergent, you know, uh, things that he dealt with uh, early in his life. So I think that um, it was, it's probably, you know, I don't know whether you can say like, does it attract more people than, you know, any other hobbies, but I, I feel like it wouldn't be surprised if a lot of analog hobbies, you know, attract, you know, people uh, who have more of these tendencies just because, um, you know, there's some therapeutic maybe, um, uh, results that can come from some of these types of things, whether it's, um, you know, social things, like even just finding other people who have kind of similar interests and similar, you know, maybe, I don't know, I'll call them quirks, you know, like, like, uh, you may have. Um, certainly the fountain pen industry as a whole is, has people with quirks as we do. And so uh, I think that that, you know, can tend to draw people together. I think that, uh, you know, definitely uh, the tactile nature of fountain pens, just like 
having, you know, things to touch and you're engaging in, you know, multiple areas, multiple senses, um, you know, visual, you know, you're, you're thinking, you got a lot of cognitive kind of thought going on. You're doing things with your hands. So I think there's a lot of, you know, just, just like I've, I've got a musical background and playing an instrument does a lot of the same kind of stuff. You know, it really stimulates a lot in your brain. I think using something very tactile, especially to write and, and all that, whether you're drawing, or, um, you know, organizing your thoughts from like a productivity standpoint or, you know, thinking creatively, like writing short stories and novels or poetry or any of that type of stuff. I think there's a lot that can stimulate a lot of things that would, uh, you know, definitely make sense to overlap heavy into that neuro like space, if you will. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. I think we're, there's not really a lot to go on to explore this in terms of fountain pens specifically, other than just, you know, thinking about, you know, what we know that people enjoy about fountain pens and what we know from some of the neurodivergent people in our lives and where that could potentially overlap or where we hear from people who've discovered fountain pens and where it specifically has, you know, just like David has kind of pointed out here, you know, as it being really beneficial to some of the things that he's been exploring due to his neurodivergent uh, uh, things that he has. So I think that um, it's really fascinating. I find it very interesting. And I think that it's, it's interesting to think about where this could go in the future, because I think that we're only discovering more and more how much, um, you know, all these kind of non-neurotypical approaches that, that people may have and, and issues that people have are actually like prevalent and getting diagnosed and talked about and less taboo and less stigmatized and stuff like that. I'm hoping that it goes more in that direction in the future because I think it's only healthy to normalize some of that, especially when there's so many people who deal with this, whether directly or with people in their families and friends and stuff like that. And if there is any way that any tool, fountain pens or not, can be helpful to anyone who you know struggles with any non-typical type of thing, especially neuro-related, I mean, I'm in all support of that. So it's pretty fascinating. So Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I did I did uh, you know google a few things real quick okay. and there are a lot of articles written about ADHD and hobbies hmm. and okay. I think overall people with ADHD are tend to either as we know hyper focus or hmm. dart focus back and forth it's just one or the other yeah. and hobbies are a great way to notice that in people with ADHD sure. there's sure. the you know, you've mentioned serial hobbyists before, mm. folks that will oh, yeah. deep dive and then go deep dive in something else. That's a very, very common uh, trait. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've certainly found myself doing that several times. And then also just that hyper focus, like I'm going to now be totally consumed mm. with and obsessed with this hobby. Hobby. I'm going to deep dive. I'm going to watch a bazillion YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. I'm going to research on what the best things to buy in order to delve into this rabbit hole will be. I'm going to watch reviews. I'm going to, you know... It just that that totally down the rabbit hole, mm. uh, you know, whatever. So that that has definitely been documented quite a bit and is uh, a very clear, you know, uh, habit of people with ADHD or similar things going on. So mm -hmm. I would say that the fountain pen hobby in general is a very probably appealing hobby mm. for someone like that just because it is, in my opinion, easily accessible because you can just get one 
try it out, watch one video and get the hang of it and already feel like you're in something unique. And you can kind of dive as much as you want into that uh, a lot or a little bit. Either mm-hmm. way, it kind of scratches that itch. So mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised, like you said at the beginning of this, I would not be surprised if there definitely is a strong correlation there. Yeah, it's interesting because it makes me think about, you know, uh, probably the, the 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 most of an overlap I've seen with this with like writing related stuff has been the the bullet journal method. Um, you know, because writer Carol really talks about that pretty clearly as being a part of a motivation. And there's like a very much of a productivity organization kind of self-discipline aspect to bullet journaling um, of literally organizing your thoughts in your day. Um, And specifically, if you're talking ADHD, that's a executive functioning type of a, you know, uh, uh, issue. And so something like you know, productivity planning and organizing that is, is exactly like bullseye addressing some of those things. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of like fountain pens. I mean, yes, writer Carol uses some fountain pens, but the bullet journal method is not a, it's not a fountain pen thing. You know, like you can use right. that with any pen. There's, there's a lot of overlap between people that bullet journal and use fountain pens, but it's not, they didn't like birth out of the fountain pen community per se. Um, so I'd be, I'd be kind of curious if there are, I don't know, like productive, whether it's like productivity methods or journaling methods or just methods in use, because I think of, I don't know, I'm thinking out loud here a little bit because the question's got me like, it's got my wheels turning. Um, it's making me think about like fountain pens. Yes, there's the the deep dive hobby interest collectability kind of aspect to it, which absolutely is a appealing part of the hobby. But then there's the actual use of fountain pens and, you know, the tactile nature of it, the the fact that you can write comfortably for long periods of time, you know, maybe that opens up some doors for somebody who normally would find it, you know, too cumbersome to write with something or just, you know, especially with some, some neurodivergent things, I think like tactility and like sensitivity to the way things feel can often be a really, really big issue, whether it's, you know, the way that like food can, be textured in your mouth or something like that, or being sensitive to like the way water feels or, you know, type of clothing and stuff like that. There's a lot of things I, I have to wonder if there's aspects to the way the fountain pen could feel on the page versus different types of other writing instruments, you know. Um, there's also the process factor. Uh, like the, there are like the ritual there, aspect there are, of like using a pen and inking it and that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's a player mm. as well in that, in that zone. Okay. It's okay. the, the process of doing something that, like you said, engages multiple senses mm-hmm. and there's a comfort to processes for a lot of people. Yeah. And yeah. fountain pens certainly give you that. Even just picking one up and writing with it involves uncapping it. Mm. And that alone hmm. is a process. It's a very quick process, but it is a process, mm. a unique process nonetheless. Interesting. Or like even like I uh, think of like, you know, fidget toys are like a big thing, you know, in the last several years. You know, there's definitely like a fidgety component to a lot of pens yeah, as well. Sure. So there could be a something sure. like that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty fascinating. I think there's a lot of like different offshoots and things to explore around this. Um, it's not something that I know a lot of people have dove super deep on making associations to. Um, I think kind of like you, Drew, I've found a lot of things that I've just because of things I've heard and things I've read and, you know, just things with myself and my kids and Rachel, her anxiety and these other things like we've we've found various things in our personal life and people that we know that we've like made some connections to things that people find a feeling about fountain pens. But I don't know if there's been like big, like bullseye type, you know, associations around it. So 
know, it could be interesting. It's something I, I do think about on a pretty regular basis. So if any of you have thought about it too, I would love to know if there are any other like thinking like YouTube channels that you follow where there's been some good stuff around sort of this topic um, because I know I've found some various ones that have had some interesting things. Um, and then uh, if there's any specific like productivity methods or things where fountain pens could be applied, um, you know, like like bullet journaling as an example. But if there's any other things, I mean, we don't we don't know everything. We don't hear about everything. So if there's stuff like that out there that you think is really interesting for us to explore, let us know in the comments um, and we'll check those out because I find this this topic deeply fascinating. So. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yes. I like that question a lot. Um, that was a good one. Yeah. Now I got one from Banzan. Can you recommend any snap cap fountain pens that make as little as possible noise when being capped or uncapped? For your reference, the only one that meets my stealth requirements so far is the Lamy 2000. Let me note, I wasn't the first one to bring that up on this episode. But several other pens that I've tried are quite noisy. For example, the Platinum Plazier, or not really silent enough, like the Platinum Pilot Prera. My use case are meetings where I'd prefer not to bother other participants when capping and uncapping my fountain pen, but still have the convenience of a snap cap versus a screw-on cap for quick note-taking. Thanks. Great question. All right. Great question. I have a very, very good answer for this, Brian. And it oh. is to uh, grab a vanishing point and just click it like crazy. Just throughout just, the meeting. Just have it as just, like white noise just throughout the whole be meeting. As a, yes, exactly. Yeah. White noise, like a babbling clicky bro. Yeah, like hide, hiding and in plain sight. That's what you're doing. Right. Well, yeah. well, here's the thing. You're just going <laughs> to annoy the heck out of everybody in the room. Uh -huh. They're going to hate you for a little while. Yeah. And then you're going to give them you're going to go back to that plaisir and they're going to be like, wow, what a great pen that is. Mm. That doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Compared to that obnoxious, you know, cricket sound of the vanishing point, <laughs> this guy cares. What a, what a, what a, what a guy. You, no, obviously. You go back you to your office and find that you've been uninvited to that meeting for the future and <laughs> you're no, or you're no longer. your office is full of dots. <laughs> um, anyway, no. So I have yeah. to, I, my, my top two picks are going to be the E95S and the Traveler's Brass Pen, which I believe, Brian, you already showed off in this episode. So I know briefly, you have that there. Briefly. So this pen is completely silent if you want it to be. If you uh, uncap it, you can't hear it. And if you cap it, if you don't press hard and you press slowly, it's completely silent. Nothing. However, if you want to, you can slam it. Yeah, and but you, you, ha you can you hear like it. You have but, to try to do it. Right. You can you can absolutely be 100% silent with the E95S as well as the Traveler's Brass Pen. Now, there's no... Technically, technically, Drew, is that a snap cap pen? Because it's not actually snapping in place. It's it's tension held in place by bars that are in the cap. So it is sliding in well, and held by tension. I, I I would call it... I think it qualifies yeah, so for what Bonzon's looking for I think here, that but. the, the, the 2000 <laughs> is both tension and... It's got uh, a snap, yeah. And snap, true, true. but it does have those tension bars in, in, it the, does. in the, yeah. the cap as well. Yeah. So yeah, I think that you know for this question, they're all considered snap yeah, for, caps. For reference here, this is so I've got a Lamy two thousand here. So it has those pressure bars inside, just like the E ninety five S does. E ninety five S, the cap is even longer, so it's you know a little little um, you know longer whatever time that it's tensioning. But it's got these teeny little wings on here that do kind of grab on on the Lamy two thousand. So it's pretty much silent, and then it's got 
just a little teensy bit of a snap there. So the E95S is even quieter than a Lamy 2000, but it doesn't have that that like last little like snap in place. But I mean, it's still a very solid, solid hold. So I would absolutely recommend that one as well. Yeah, this was my top pick for sure. Not only does is it super quiet, but the riding experience is excellent. The size and form factor is excellent for inter-office goings between mm. note-taking. Tremendous. It looks, the ti- capacity, it looks timeless too. It just like yeah, the incapacity isn't amazing, but neither is the traveler's brass pen. But for if you're just at the office, it's it's perfect for taking notes at meetings. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If and it's a comfortable writing. Experience if you're not well. trying to get a lot of attention, you know. Yeah, Brian. Does the uh, the Sterling the uh, the Silvern the Pilot Silvern mm-hmm. is that exactly the same as the E95S in terms of capping? It's pretty similar. Yeah, I think so. I have not used one in a long time. I forget that pen exists. Yeah, it's very similar to that. I mean, it's like okay. four times the price as the E95S. Right, but that one but that similar. one would also be silent, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there you go. That that's another one. If that's you forget, like I do, that that pen exists. <laughs> it's very pretty, but it's a cool. Pen. Yeah, like Brian said, it's 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 pricey. Yeah, I mean, you're paying you're paying for all that sterling. Yeah, and then Drew mentioned the Traveler's pen. You know, I don't know if this is this is more of like a pocket pen. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. This is one that I would probably necessarily want to like take in meetings and stuff like that. But and it's silent. It is silent. I'll give you that. Um, you know, but it's very convenient. It's nice to have as like a backup pen, especially if you, if you're in a meeting and your pen, your main pen runs out of ink, you kind of just always have this around. It takes cartridges so you can, you know, change out a cartridge without making a scene. Um, but it, you know, it is also very quiet. It does have a little bit of a snap right at the end, you know, so you can hear it a little bit, but it's, it's going to be pretty close to the Lamy 2000 in terms of its, its volume. Um, and then. You know what else I thought of, Brian? Mm. And I wish this wasn't true because I hate on this. <laughs> I hate on this pen a lot. Okay. Not because it's bad, just because it's kind of like the outcast of the family. Mm. The Pilot Vanishing Point or the Capless Fermo. The Fermo is stealthy. Yeah, that would be stealthy. They don't make it anymore, or at least we don't have it in the U.S. Uh, very more uh, anymore. But yeah, it's it's, it's I, definitely not as it's it's never been. Yeah. Abundant, I, yeah. I don't think it's around, but mm. it would be quiet. It would. It would be quiet. It would. The twist doesn't make any noise hardly at all. Yeah, so. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, give the give the Fermo a little bit of credit give there. It a little love, sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, some other ones. Too late. Yeah. Too little. Too late, Drew. Uh, and then some other ones that I thought of. Um, honestly, just a classic Lamy Safari is not bad. Um, you know, it's a you know great all around work uh, workhorse. Let's of a pen. hear. Let's hear. Let's hear that one. It's. Like it's it's oh, it's pretty dang I, quiet. I, I I can't hear that at all. Yeah, Drew, my microphone is different for what Drew's hearing me. Still, still, still though, me. still though. I mean, it's it's not it's not much. So no, I can hear your voice just fine, but I couldn't hear that at all. It's very very quiet. So I think just a regular old Lamy Safari, probably an All Star. That surprises too. me. It's 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 pretty quiet. Um, okay. So that that's a decent one. Um, for reference hmm. here, I grabbed the Plazier just so you could hear what he's saying is too loud. It's 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 got a pretty audible snap to it. Oh, never mind. I can't hear that either. Well, here, let me get this closer to your mic, Drew. How can how can I hear your voice super well, but I can't hear that thing? I don't know. It's just the way that the computer mic right. is. I don't know. Whatever. It's how they make it. Um, okay. And then I grabbed the preppy too. I was like, let me see about the preppy. Now, granted, I saw the cartridge rattling around here, so that's. It's got a it's got a more. more oh yeah, that one that one snaps. It's got a more audible snap to it. So, you know, not every pen. Uh, Twisby swipe. I thought about that one. 
I know Drew's up on that pen. No. The swipe no is, way. It's not super loud. No. I, I don't. That's loud. You think it's loud? Yes. If he's if he's if if he's capping and uncapping okay. that at meetings. So one thing I will say with a lot of pens, there are ways that you can close it to where it's quieter than others. Like a lot of times when I'm in meetings. I will try to close my pens. There's some where it's like you have no control. It just, it snaps. But a pen like the swipe, if I hold it in one hand and sort of like have some friction. So I'm basically like laying my finger across where the, it's partly on the cap and partly on the body of the pen. Provides a little bit of friction there. And then I use my thumb to kind of cap it. I'm essentially squeezing the pen tighter as I'm capping it. I can do it almost silently. Yeah. So I'm saying like that's, I mean, you know, you you do that a few times and you kind of develop that just as a habit. I'm taking notes. Okay. I go to put it on, just close it like that. I'm not making a scene. You know, do you want to have to think about yeah. that? Maybe not. No. But I will say, and these are four. True. Are you really like not all for I, the swipe on this no, one? You're so I, pro swipe. Hey, I, hey anyway. I am pro swipe, <laughs> but I'm not blindly pro swipe. I have reasons for my pro swipe And... I would not say that if you want a silently capping pen, this is the this is a recommendation. For so me. what's, I would what's your test then? Would you have to like take the pen and like just without any obstruction at all, just like close it? And if it snaps, I think so. I think quietly? so. Like okay, we've we've got we've got uh, Bonzon in a meeting. Okay. okay, he's got other things to worry about. He's doing business things. I feel like Bonzon. I feel need to like Bonzon is. I feel like Bonzon can juggle more than one thing at a time here. We're not talking. But why would he have to when he could get the E95S, Brian? Why should he have to? That, That's too loud. Get that out of here. Yeah. You know what actually is quiet, Brian? If you take Nothing's a here. if you take a Homo sapiens and you don't do the clicky twist on the hook safe right. lock, oh, yeah. if 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 you press it and turn and then release, it's totally silent. Oh yeah, I've got so I've got a I, I actually grabbed the Homo sapiens for that reason. Yeah, most anything with a hook safe lock especially if it's either like a resin or the lava pen like this you can pretty much do it like silently yeah i mean if you let that spring-loaded inner cap mm -hmm. snap and pop the pen you know into place then yeah it makes a click but if you do it yourself and you push twist and pull then Mm -hmm. it's 100 silent another one too this is another inexpensive pen the jinhao 51a also kind of like that got a hooded nib um it's got the same kind of thing it's got a little bit of a the pressure bar situation it's not as graceful it's a much cheaper pen but i don't know if we have that one anymore brian this one i don't think we have anymore but i just grabbed one that i had um, but it's it's pretty darn quiet so that one could work um what else did i grab uh let's see it was be go let me see how that one is some of these i just had like i grabbed pens that i was like i think it's quiet and i gotta like really go through and see Ooh. Brian, we that have one fifty-one A left, and it's just the blue. Oh well, forget that pen; it's I dead think, to us. I think I think they're on their way out, okay, man. Well, fair enough. Well, anyway, it's still a good, it's still a good good choice. There's a lot of people I mean, have bon- a lot of people have them already. Still, yeah, Bonsai can still get it. Yeah, and there's also vintage pens that have that originated oh, sure. that design. Oh, obviously, sure. um, the other one that, that I had was work. the Diplomat Magnum. All right, let's hear this one. I'm skeptical. It's got a, oh, it's got a little bit of a pop. no way. I heard that from here. It's got a little bit of a pop. Unobstructed. It's a little it's a little snappy. It's probably too snappy. Mm. If what if I muffle it, let's see. Yeah. That's mm. a little too much work. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm having I'm not work too hard on that one. All right, forget that. Throw it away. Okay. Well Gar- it's garbage. Hopefully you've been able to get some direction. <laughs> <laughs> it's garbage. Whoa. <laughs> rough, man. Rough. 
Drew is savage when it comes to snap volume. Gee whiz. I'm telling you. You take a E ninety five S. No, seriously, E ninety five S or Traveler's brass pen. That's that's it. Like they're I was just, try, I was just trying to give options for like other styles of pens because those are I both think like what we have done style pens. We have made the E ninety five S and the Traveler's pen look good by bringing in right. a bunch <laughs> of substandard options. Fair enough. Okay. Well, if y'all have any other suggestions, drop them in the comments as well. And then uh, Drew will dump all over you because apparently he does not <laughs> he's not open to any other input. <laughs> all right, Drew. Got one more question here. Yes, we do. So question number five comes to us from Mike. And Mike says, hi, Brian and Drew. Mm. Here's a hypothetical for you to ponder. Oh, oh here we go, Brian. One. That's a good one. Let's say someone went back to the past just before the company was founded and messed up the timeline so that the Goulet Pen Company didn't exist today. Doc Stephen Brown, <laughs> SBR. <laughs> nice. Has to send Marty McFly back to the past to fix the timeline to restore the Goulet Pen Company to existence mm. in 2022. Mm. Which specific moment in Goulet's history would you consider to be the absolute pivotal point that Doc Brown should send Marty to? This is a really fun question. <laughs> We've never been now, asked this specifically. Hold on, Brian. Mm. I, I, I've, I've, I've seen your response, and this might change it a little bit. Okay, you, yeah, this question, I, I need some clarity because you are in the back-to-the-future expert in between the two of us. Well, no, no, this has, the, the, the hypothetical has very little to do with back-to-the-future, but the what Mike says is some someone went back and messed up the timeline before the company was founded. Mm-hmm. And you founded the company before the pivotal moment that you are prepared to explain. Well... I can explain myself. So people don't have context because they don't see my notes. Okay. All right. All right. So my my question, okay. So the, the nature of the question here, I have not seen Back to the Future in a very long time. I know there are like a few key points because like I know he has to like get his parents to fall in love or whatever the heck, right? So he's got to like go right. to the dance and get his mom to whatever, get his dad to punch Biff or whatever, whatever the heck happened in the movie. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty is accurate. That, okay. I'm going, I have no, I don't think I've seen the movie in 20, no, 20 years. That's accurate. So is that the pivotal point? Or I'm thinking like when he had to do the whole like clock tower lightning strike kind of a thing, but that was just for him to get back. Right. But like that, well, that was equally important. Like what is the most important? What's the point we're talking about here? Like, it, there, he's just saying that someone went back before the Goulet pen company was founded and messed it up so mm. that it didn't exist. Okay. And you need to go back mm. to fix it. The truth is there's probably like 47 different points at which the Goulet Pen Company should have not existed. Like it's just something that there's so many individual things that had to go right for right, us to let be sitting you, here talking about this right now. Let me ask you some some clarifying questions just to make it easier on you. Okay. Okay. So give me an example of a pivotal point for the company's founding, like the thing that actually said, yeah. I'm going to start selling wooden pens that I make. I'm going to make yeah. the Goulet Pen Company. And then a second pivotal moment where you said, I'm going to actually start retailing fountain pens. Okay. So in terms of like, I never would have even gone down this path. There's there's like five things that come to mind that before I even got into fountain pens, just to even right, well, let's start, start going down that path. There were like five different things that I can. So, think what of moment as key got moments. you started? What moment started you in the woodworking passion? Because that's ultimately what really began this. I mean, right? I always had an interest in tools, but like 
the fact that when Rachel and I first got married, we didn't have cable. So all I had was like catching TV on rabbit ears and we got PBS. Oh. And so what we if watched, Marty went we back watched, and screwed things up by giving you cable and Brian never got interested in woodworking? Right. Because he could, he could watch Animaniacs. Yeah. Like if I hadn't had like the only thing to watch basically ever that I cared about was the New Yankee Workshop with Norm Abram and scratching that like woodworking itch. And that was what made me want to drape extension cords out the window and start getting tools. And, you know, the only tools that I could use that were quiet enough to not disturb my neighbors was a small lathe. And I just happened to have a grizzly catalog that out of the like 500 pages in that catalog, there were two pages that had pen making supplies. And I was like, oh, pens, that's quiet enough. Oh, these pen kits are pretty cheap. I could probably make that on my balcony and not annoy Rachel in you know, spend all the money that she's earning because I was a f not a freeloader, but I was a <laughs> I was a, a very cheap loader. Um, uh, and so, do you think? Do you think so that like all, the, like the, all those things had to happen to even get to the point where woodworking was even feasible at that stage? So, do you think that if you if you had cable, none of this would happen? I don't know. It's it's hard to say, right? In an alternate so, so timeline, yeah, I could have. Uh, who knows? Maybe that's it. Who knows? Oh man, you would have just spent your time just watching if, the Food Network, if, and even if all that had happened, and I proposed to Rachel, "Hey, I want to buy this pen lathe and start making wooden pens." If she had looked at me and said, "What are you crazy? No, I'm not going to let you get that," I would have been like, "Okay, no pens." And then that right there, pens never would have happened, and I never would have ended up down this path. So it's like, oh if you want to go back that back that far to the origin, any number of those things could have happened. But but. So I'll, I'll say my official answer that I that I first thought of, you know, thinking about like if you're taking like a big standardized test or something, they always tell you like, go with your gut on your first answer, right? So my gut answer to this was, you know, I was already making pens. I was aware of fountain pens. I'd never used one. But what really got me into fountain pens, which is really the main thing here, was when I attended the DC Pen Show in 2009. That's where I had like the aha epiphany lightning strike moment of, oh my gosh, I really need to see what these fountain pens are all about. And it wasn't like any one thing that happened. I didn't even like know anybody at the show or talk to anybody specifically. There was no one series of it. It was just being there. I just had sort of this feeling of like, wow, there's really something here. I need to figure out what this is all about. And it was a series of, you know, kind of discoveries that then led to starting to carry fountain pen supplies. So it was very iterative, but it was iterative in a fairly rapid period of time. So it was, it was more of a series of things that led up to just kind of this, like, I don't know, I don't want to say like predestined kind of thing, but it felt, it felt like I was almost playing a role that had already been scripted. And I just had to make the choice to make each step that led me to where we were going. I just didn't know all the steps as we, it was, I felt like I was kind of like an improv and it was like, there was a story that was being told, but I had to do like the yes and kind of a decision with every step of the way, because none of it makes any sense. If you were to say like, okay, here is what you should do is you should go, you should change your major like three times in college and then graduate, not do your degree, but then work with your dad's business that you started. And as a side hustle, you should do this random thing that's as a hobby and you should try to turn that into a business, do it for several years and then pivot it hard, give it all up and find this other thing. Like that's what ended up happening, but there's no way that you would script all that out and say, yes, that is a path to success uh, because it's such a series of crazy things that had to happen. But 
I would say um, just that that situation of being immersed without really knowing what was going on around fountain pen people and just seeing the enthusiasm that people had for them. That was the biggest takeaway for me was like, wow, I've read about people online that are into fountain pens. I was vaguely aware of how they worked, but I had no idea that people were that much into it and going to that show. And it was like, I basically almost didn't even go to that show because I was going as a kind of a sort of prospecting as maybe going to the show the following year to try to sell my wooden rollerball pens. And, you know, cause I, I had a pen making friend of mine who lived closer to the DC area. It's like two hours away. I don't go to DC just for fun. It's not how it works, <laughs> especially at what 24 or whatever I was at that time. Um, so I had a, a much older friend of mine. He was, I think in his sixties or something. And he was like my, sort of my pen making buddy. And, um, you know, he told me about the show and was like, Hey, why don't, why don't you go to the show? And, um, we were supposed to go together and he ended up not being able to go at the last minute. So I went up there by myself and I almost didn't go. Cause I was like, well, if I can't go with him and I was like, well, I might as well go and just check it out. And I can see if maybe, you know, if there's other people that are making pens there, maybe I could set up a booth the following year, but it almost didn't happen. Even that I almost didn't go because at that point we knew that Rachel was pregnant with Joseph. And so there was a little bit of a ticking clock in my mind of like, I kind of need to figure my crap out with this business because the pen making thing really wasn't that viable at that time. And it's like, if I can't find a way to make this viable, I can't just keep freeloading off Rachel. I wasn't really freeloading. I was working hard. I just hadn't found a business that had worked yet. I was like, if I can't find something that works here, I don't know if this thing is going to last much longer because we got to provide for our family. And, you know, the original plan so you didn't was not was not like to just keep living off Rachel forever. I knew I had to figure something out. So you didn't own a fountain pen before D.C.? No, the first fountain pen wow. that I ever used was one that I made. I basically you had you know, pen kits that you would buy and like make out of wood. Well, there were like grip sections that had like nibs instead of a roller ball and you can like swap it out. So I preemptively sort of bought, or maybe I got them from the pen maker friend of mine or whatever. I'd like gotten like a kit that I could like swap out on a pen that I made, you know, that was a fountain pen, but I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to feel. So like I was really pretty ignorant. Um, so, and there was not, good YouTube videos or anything at the time. So it was really like I stumbled into it. And that's, that was again, all part of the story of like why we focus so much on education and knowledge and community building is because I lacked a lot of that when I first got into it and I really fell in love with it. But I was like, boy, is this difficult to learn how to use and love fountain pens because it's just the infrastructure wasn't quite there yet, but I saw where it could go. And so once I kind of made the connection of, oh, these fountain pens are actually pretty awesome. I see why people love them, but it needs to be easier for people who don't already know how to use them to learn. And that was what got it all going. And, uh, you know, here we are today still kind of doing the same thing. So really I would consider like, yes, we still had technically you know, Goulet, the Goulet pen company, but it was really a completely different form of the company. We weren't selling fountain pens. We weren't really selling any pens <laughs> to speak of, uh, very much at all, but it was pivoting and dis- discovering fountain pens and going down that path. That was really the turning point for me. That was like the fork in the road where I then, I didn't get out of making pens right away. It was really another six or eight months before I kind of realized like, yeah, the pen making thing, again, going back to what we were saying about plastic and metal and all that kind of stuff. 
even trying to make pens for the fountain pen community, I realized the way that I needed to make pens out of wood wasn't, it was going to be so niche for what people were looking for. It was going to be really difficult to even build a business off that, even with the enthusiasm in the pen community. So that's when I sort of set that on the table on the, on the side. I tried to keep it going for a little bit on the side, but it just didn't make sense once we had that ticking clock of Joseph and it was like, we got a due date for the baby. We got to make this happen. And then as soon as Rachel, she had Joseph and then she couldn't basically go back after maternity leave and leave me and Joseph at home while she went off to do her job that she liked, but didn't love. And then it was like, okay, if we're both going to go all in on this, we have to only do the absolute most impactful things and just pen making at that point didn't make sense. And so I gave all that up, packed everything in this two car garage workshop that I'd set up, crammed all that first in half the garage. And then I put the rest of it in a shed and really packed it all away, sold off a whole bunch of pen making stuff. And it was all just making videos and, you know, e-commerce store. And it was all in on that for a while and not even paying ourselves for a while um, until we were able to make that work. So that was really the biggest, most iconic moment of a turning point that was the most impactful to where things are today. So that's... So the 2009 DC Pen Show was mm -hmm. Brian's enchantment under the sea dance. I would Marty say would so. Just need to, I would say he, so. Marty would need to get you to that show. That would be it. Yep. Rain I or shine. Like Bri so. Brian's... Brian's Brian's old pen friend was mm -hmm. like, you know what? No, I'm not like 60s old, but you get what I'm saying. Was like, all right, I'm not going. You probably shouldn't go either. It wasn't worth it. And Brian's decided, okay, yeah, I won't go. But Marty's like, no, dude, you need to go. And again, like, like ah, why? What's the point, Marty? He's like, you need to go. So maybe he ties you up, puts you in the trunk, gets you there, just dumps you in the, dumps you on the side of the walk. And you're like, oh man, I got to go into this hotel and call home. And you go in, you're like, oh. <gasps> Look at all the people. Yeah. Look at the passion. Look at the excitement, the joy. Yeah. And to Rachel's credit, like none of that was anything she was very familiar with. She was working. She was, you know, gestating life. Like she was doing far more important things at that time. And she, I hear had, that's hard work. she had already been supporting me basically for three years. I've been trying to make pen making into an actual business. But keep in mind, this is right around the timing of the 2008, 2009, like financial crisis, all of our corporate business that had given me an impression that we had a pen making business to start with, all of that disappeared. So truly in 2009, I was like, boy, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do with any of this. I was considering becoming an electrician. I was looking for like alternate options because <laughs> it was rough. Um, so to Rachel's credit, she really gave me a lot of room to explore, to find a workable path in this whole scenario. And even to this day, you hear all the shenanigans week to week that I'm up to. She supports me in all this ridiculousness and she always has. And, you know, we've been together like 20 years now. And I think there's, you know, in some ways I'm responsible for part of her anxiety because of all the <laughs> stuff that I get into. But, you know, she still is just so supportive of me and all this. And I think it's, it's ended up working out well in the end, but boy, we, uh, we've had to go out on some limbs with some of the stuff that I've kind of like, well, maybe if, what if I look into this? What if I did? And like most people around me are like, I don't know, Brian, I trust you though. Like you're a hard worker. If there is a way to make it work, I'm sure you'll figure it out. But this sounds a little crazy. That's like, I've said that a few times. It's pretty much, pretty much my MO as I'm like, what if, what if it did though? What if it, you know, and I'm, I'm used to getting that kind of like, mm, I don't know, maybe, 
So I don't know. There we go. Great question though. Thanks for, for prompting that, Mike. I always love talking about myself and our origin story. So I'm glad <laughs> that people find it interesting because it is a little crazy. Um, and just the, like how quickly all that happened too. I mean, we were 25 at that time. Like that's so young. Oh my gosh. Feels younger every year, but anyway. All right, well, that's what we got for Q&A. Now I have a tip of the week. All right, tip of the week. This is gonna be a quick one, I'm not gonna lie. We've used up most of our good ones. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel. So we made it. Last week's we was really to, good. Last week's was good. Last week's was good. Because it came from you. Well, I don't know about that. What, what you? was last week's? Oh yeah, last week, yes, last week, yeah, yeah. Them. Yeah, we yeah, need to crowdsource you. more of these, yeah. how about that? But um, I got one for you this one. This is very basic AF here. So um, what do you do when you're approaching the end of an ink bottle? If you're like me, you don't do this very often because you acquire ink bottles faster than you're using them. But every now and then you might use the end of an ink bottle. Um, but basically if you like an ink and you're coming to the end of it, you got a couple of options. It could be an opportunity to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna finish this one out or maybe just hang on to it and move on to something else. But you know, for some people they like to kind of stick with that bottle if you've used a whole bottle's worth of it. Or maybe you're like halfway or, or two thirds done with it and this is getting harder to fill, right? That's usually where you start to think about like, oh, I can't just like stick the pen in and fill it, you know, cause the ink level is getting lower. It's not getting up to the filler hole on the pen. I need to decide what I'm gonna do with the future of this particular ink. So you have a couple of options. Um, you can replace it, get the exact same ink and essentially kind of decant the old ink into it. That's what I hear you know, a lot of folks do. If you're not concerned about, I don't know, the cleanliness or whatever, or contamination or anything like that, like if you especially been using it you know, at a pretty good pace, it's not like 10 year old ink or something like that, you're probably fine to do that. I don't love that personal process quite as much because if there is any contaminants or any junk, anything that's kind of gathered up in there, you're basically just transferring that to your new bottle. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like if you're, you know, coming to the end of a, a drink or something like that, you're like, yeah, this is probably mostly backwash. Like, am I really want to dump that into a new drink uh, or should I just like, you know, kind of toss it and go. So I think it's totally legitimately to toss the last couple milliliters, especially if you have any reason to believe there could be some kind of contaminant or just something you don't like about it. Um, but uh, decanting it into the new one is an option. Um, I think some bottles you can tilt them and, you know, really kind of finish them out pretty much all the way. Um, especially if it's a bottle shape that has a nice corner to it, um, especially if the ink bottle itself is not that full and it's got a nice wide mouth. I'm thinking about like an Pelican Edelstein bottle is a good example, um, or a Pilot Eroshizuku. You know, maybe you just stick it to pens that, you know, have a pretty low filler hole on it. I'm thinking like a Pilot Vanishing Point. Well, Vanishing Point, maybe not so much because that actually filler hole is actually kind of high. But like Pilot Custom 74 or a Platinum, uh, ba 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 which one? Procyon, where it's got the the filler hole is not all the way up at the base where the feed meets the grip, but it's like kind of down closer to the tip of the nib. Those you can pretty well finish out like a bottle of a Roshizuku because Roshizuku's got like that dip down in the bottom uh, and Lamy too. Lamy's, if you take the Lamy bottles out, it's got like a weird kind of like bulb at the bottom. Um, you can stick your nib further down. You can actually use up that bottle pretty well. So that's always an option too. You can always um, just try and milk it and get the last of what you can out of there, tilting it all sorts of weird ways. Not always an option with every bottle, but it could be something. Um, you can use ink syringes. So ink syringes or pipettes, if you're just an agent of chaos, um, to get that ink wow. out, of the, Feel out of the end of the model. <laughs> and then you can, uh, you can either 
use that to fill a pen directly, especially if you have something like a piston or a vacuum or something where it's like a pretty large cavity, not practical for like a cartridge pen per se, necessarily. Uh, syringe though, you can definitely fill a cartridge or a converter uh, directly. So you can, you know, how much ink is in that bottle really is not even that relevant because the needles are nice and long. You can pretty much reach most bottles with that. So that, that to me is usually my preferred method is I sort of syringe it out of there, you know, put it into whatever pen I'm using and then just kind of go on my merry way. Another option for you is you can actually decant from whatever the bottle of ink using something like a syringe, or this is actually one where the pipette probably is actually better because it's not as precise and you can get bigger droplets. Um, you can well, well, you can decant it out of the, <laughs> this is just one of those things that Drew and I don't agree on. Um, you, can, uh, you can decant the ink in whatever fashion you prefer out of the remainder of your bottle and put it into an ink sample vial, an unused vial that you have. Because you can fit a good seven, maybe eight milliliters into a vial. So it's pretty decent volume of ink. Um, pretty much you're going to be able to get you know, the remainder of whatever ink bottle that you've got and put that into an ink sample vial. And then most pens will fill pretty well from an ink sample vial. Um, or alternatively, if you have something like a Penider pen filler or Visconti traveling inkwell, you could actually- Or the hack that it, we talked about last week. Or the hack with the ink sample vial and the, the rubber grommet situation. You know, you can definitely do that too. Lots of options. The grommet or the Wallace. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Nice, nicely done. Um, so yeah, decanting it into some other, vi you know, whatever vessel, um, or I have a non actual option here. Um, just keep watering it down so that you can fill your pen easily and just indefinitely water it down until it's unreadable and then just dump it and, and go on. So, you know, if you're just looking to, to change it up a little bit, you know, you get down to, you got five mils left in there, just dump half water in, make it 10 mils, and then you can fill your pen. And then that gets that, down that and would, then fill it again and see see how long you can go. That would work for some colors. That would work for some colors. Uh, <laughs> or not, not maybe like it would work if it was nitrogen. Yeah, great idea. True. Might work better on some colors than others. Or maybe, you know, this is a terrible option as well. Mm -hmm. Not actually oh, a real suggestion. But, you know, maybe just go into it knowing that you want to do that. Um, you know, maybe when you use the first 10 or 20% of your bottle, just pour some distilled water in there, top it off. And then, uh, you know, it'll distill, it'll, it'll dilute it a little bit, but you won't notice so much. Oh, God. And then uh, no, when you use like another 20%, just, just put some more water no, in there. Just no, keep no, it perpetually full. And then, uh, you know, no. over time, you'll end up with just like this really weak... You know, like the like the water that we use, Drew, when I, we do video demonstrations. It's like this. No, what you're reminding <laughs> me of is is the people that when the hand soap is almost gone, just fill it with water, thinking that's the same thing. Oh yeah. And then you go to use it and just like squirts water on your hand and like or squirts water like you like you really go ham on it and it squirts water like ugh. onto your like crotch because right. you're expecting it to be soap and have some resistance and it's just like pfft, a water gun shooting onto you. Yeah. I I, I cannot abide that. We used to have somebody at the office that would do that, and we never found out who never was doing found it. Out. Yeah, <laughs> somebody was. Somebody was. Somebody was doing. Like, it. Just I was refill. Like, we have soap refills. I was like I'm the owner of the company, and I am not for this. Like, do not cut the soap <laughs> with water. Like, we will buy new soap. <gasps> we have them. We have like the big soap oh jug refill gosh. thing. Yeah, I can't. I can't deal with that. You know. <laughs> no. You know why I think somebody might do that, Drew? Is if so? Okay. Okay. We we have not done well. I, I was gonna say, we haven't done a hypothetical in a while. We could bring that back. Take a break on the tips and do some hypotheticals. Oh, we don't have time for that. That's an option. No, I'm saying if we swap out a segment with the hypotheticals. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we can bring that This is back. a tangent, but we're, we're approaching turkey hammock zone. Um, when you wash your hands, 
do you wet your hands first and then soap it up? Or are you a soap first and then water? I wet one hand because some extra Whoa. water does, some extra water creates that lather that you want, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I use my non-wet hand to pump the soap. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'll do like one hand pump soap. The other hand is. So then you're not getting, getting you're not getting like water all over the soap dispenser. Right. I'm not dribbling all over whatever. Yeah. That actually is pretty good, Drew. That's a good answer. So that way I combine the two. I might have and to try I'm, that. I might have to adopt that. I've always been a I've go. always been a wet the hands and then fling water everywhere and then I. But <laughs> that works too. I will say water doesn't hurt anything. I I will wipe down the sink after I use it. I will fling water places. My hands are big. I go. I really go nuts when I wash my hands. But when I fling water, <laughs> like wings. But when I fling water. <laughs> I will get a paper towel and I will wipe up my mess. Even in like a public restroom, like a rest stop, I will do that because I cannot stand. And I will, this is disgusting, but I will pick up like paper towels if they're on the floor. I'll try to use a paper towel that I've used and like not directly touch people's yeah. other paper towels. But like, I do not like it when people leave trash and like water and stuff splashed everywhere. Even in a public thing restroom, I'm- I try to leave it nicer than when I, when I came on it. Yeah, I, I don't actually pick up stuff on the floor, but I, I am sensitive. I am I sensitive to pooling around the sink, particularly in front of the sink. Oh, if you have, and it gets on your crotch you and it looks like you peed yourself. Well, n- not only that, like, you know, and that's happened to me before too. It's awful. But when you have a kid and they're having to lean over oh, the sink yeah. to wash their hands, because they don't have a choice and mm. it gets all over their shirt. And I just feel so bad for my son whenever he has to do that and he comes he's done a good job washing his hands but his shirt's all covered because somebody else just left a big pool of water right there in Mm. front of the lip of the uh, basin so that's good yeah i'm very sensitive to that area especially after having a good psa i'm glad we're talking about this everybody just you know (laughs) be be conscious of what of how you're leaving your bathrooms wherever it is whether your house or someone else's bathrooms especially if it's like somebody else's house that you're at like come on now and if you come to the Goulet Pen Company and try to water down the soap, we will find we you. We will find you and we will... Even though we didn't find the last... Yeah, we won't actually find you. We'll just complain. <laughs> we'll just we'll complain, just complain about you on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. That's really, th- that's really threatening. It sounds very intimidating. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, we're going to move on now. We got a spotlight on the Sailor Rialo. All right, Drew. Sailor. Pro Gear. Sailor. Rialo. Pro Gear Rialo. We're going to make this one kind of brief because... Sailor has a lot of similarities between a lot of their pens, right? So Pro Gear, they have, it's really just standard Pro Gear. They don't, to my knowledge, at least in the US, they don't have the, the Riallo in other sizes. It's just in that mid-size pen. So what you're getting, you're getting flat tops. You're getting center band, finial, all that stuff. The little inset in the finial, the anchor, all good stuff. Uh, you're getting the 21 carat, the smaller 21 carat size nib in the seven different standard nib sizes. This uh, is the maroon version or burgundy. I don't remember which one it's called because different brands call it different ones, but it is maroon or red as I would call it because it's in the red family. Um, And they also have a black one, gold trim on both versions. Uh, I will say the nib on this one, you get that gold with the uh, two-tone just on the little accent there. Uh, with the two tone, nice. it looks really, really nice. looks really nice. So that is kind of cool. Um, but the nice thing is it's got an ink window and it's a piston fill for whatever reason. We do not have a lot of piston filling pens coming out of Japan. It's just not common. Most everything is cartridge converter. Pilot has one pen that's got a piston, the heritage 92. 
and uh, they have one pin that is the vacuum, the custom 823, everything else cartridge converter. I guess technically you have the Emperor that's an eyedropper, but whatever. Um, Sailor, this is the only version of a pen that is not cartridge converter. So it's kind of cool for that fact. It's a little more expensive. You're in the 350 range for this pen, um, but still good. Um, Pro Gear could be anywhere in the $300 range. So you're paying a little bit of a premium for it. Um, but I think it's it's not like a crazy, it's not like it's double the price of the pen. No, the uh, the Knight to E4, Brian, is going for like three nine, uh, uh, 390 Yeah. Some so of the, this some is actually newer, cheaper. Yeah, some of the newer pens, I think Sailor's kind of working out some of the price because some of their stuff like they've had for a long time, they haven't raised prices on some of the older things. Yeah, their prices are all over the place Yeah, right now. yeah. I think they're going to be, you know, kind of working on that and, and figuring that out. So don't hold us to these prices like forever. Everybody's revisiting prices right now because it's all crazy with COVID stuff. Um, but, you know, for what you get, I think it's a, I think, I think it's worth a look. I wish there were more color options and stuff. Like I would love to see them That's do the some interesting stuff with it. But it's not like the colors are bad. They're just a little plain right that's not why people buy sailor though <sighs> people buy Sailor. like yes Fair. it's a it's a fun nib to write with it gives you a writing experience that's unlike most other pens Fair. but when people get excited about a sailor pen they get excited about their colors that's one that's the thing that they've carved out yeah. in the industry is their exciting new color var varieties variations that you know blending two colors that may not seem good but making them good and and then here in this pen, we get black and maroon. And that's just not, that's not enough. Yeah. There's no, have you there's, even seen, just, have you even seen, cause you, you follow stuff and you see like exclusives that happen in Japan that never make it to the U S and all that. Do you see anything happening with the Rialo over there? I can't really, I, I mean, I, I know recall. that I know they have more than maroon and black. Yeah. Do they? I guess I'm not super yeah. familiar with all their offerings there, but I feel like the Rialo is just like under the radar. Kind it of really is the board. here. They, they don't, they don't import. I would love to see it. Them get highlighted more. I mean, overall, the pen's not that different than a regular Pro Gear. Like the body itself ends up staying fairly similar. You're really getting a piston mechanism and an ink window, which I think are fantastic features. It's like, a little tiny bit longer than the standard Pro Gear. Okay, okay, but not enough to- Just a hint. Not enough to no, notice, it's really. really. The, the, the piston unit is like elongated a little bit more than okay. the- Fair. Than the finial on the but other, but it doesn't one. feel it doesn't feel substantially different than a regular nah. per year would, and the weight's not really different. You know, some pens like you have a Pelican like M800, the piston in that it's got a lot of metal components and stuff. Now the piston in here is not disassemblable. I don't really know specifically what the piston looks like. Let me see if I can see if it's like a. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of a clear looking O-ring, but I can't really see so easily what kind of O-ring it has going on in there. Anyway. But I don't know. It's a cool pen. I like it. I wish. Oh yeah, man, could do dude. More. There's so there's so many Japanese Rialos really? out there. It, it's heartbreaking. On it. I don't even want to. I don't even want to look at this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, oh maybe. Dang it. I feel like oh, I can't. Dude, there's there's a there's a transparent blue one that like. Shut up. Stop I know. It. <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop it. Now I have to now I have to live my life knowing that that exists. Uh, uh, you asked. Uh, I'm so sorry. I yeah, did ask. It's... I did ask. Daggone. Uh. Well, okay. <laughs> that's a Sailor Riallo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool pen. It's a cool pen. I would, yeah, you still do get the hey, piston. Look, you still you know, get the piston. They, when we first started carrying Sailor two and a half years ago, there were not a lot of, a whole lot of pro gear options to begin with. Not to say that like we had a lot to do with that, but we definitely like 
they sort of mentioned like, like Atoya North America sort of mentioned to us, like, yeah, we know the pro gear is more popular in Japan. The 1911 is more popular in the U S and we were like, I don't think that it necessarily has to be that way. I think it's a matter of what's offered. So we really pushed them. I think they were already leaning towards it, but we also reinforced like, yeah, more pro gears, people like the flat top thing. And I think it's become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more cool and special new pro gear options that have come out, the more popular it's become. I think it's the same yeah. thing with the Rialo. I think it would be more popular pen if there were more interesting things that came out with it. So that's what we're going to keep pushing for. We're just going to keep asking. Them. Yeah, I think you could probably say the same thing about the Pilot Custom Heritage 92. I think that if they gave it a little bit more love and brought out some different colors could other be. than just could clear, be. they've just had, they've had for, for, 10 years they've had just clear in the United States. It's true. Yeah, Pilot's a little, yeah. there's a little more resistance there. I mean, Sailor, you just look at the pace at which Sailor's come out with new stuff versus Pilot. Um, Sailor's just on it more. And we keep telling that to Pilot. We're like, please come out with some new stuff. It would be great. Um, you know, and they've got their reasons. We don't, you know, who are we? We're just one retailer. So it's like, they don't- Well, Sailor's definitely, us, but... Sailor is a fountain pen first company and Pilot is not. Uh, yeah, true. In their fine writing, yeah, they absolutely are. But fine writing is like a, such a tiny fraction compared to like the G2 and the Pilot Precise and all that. Like, yes, yeah. globally, Pilot is so much more than just fountain pens. Like the fact that they still make fountain pens is kind of an honor and is amazing. But Sailor, yeah, I mean, Sailor is a much smaller company. Um, but yeah, man, I would love to see that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm getting a renewed vigor for like really pushing them to do some more stuff with the Rialo. I there we go. That would be cool. So anyway, that's why I wanted get on, to get on the phone. Just be like, get me pilot. Get yes. No, get me sailor. Get me, sailor. Get me the sailor. Get me Japan. And they'll, and me. they'll be like, <laughs> they'll be like, that's not how it works. You silly American <laughs> YouTuber. And be like, okay, I'll just speak into the community and we'll all just share our frustrations together. Um, not really frustration. I shouldn't, it makes it sound like really bad. No, 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 no. They have great reasons, but I, I do think that, you know, let us know, like, please engage with us in the comments here. Let us know, like, would you want to see more cool stuff going on with the Rialo? Or are you like, yeah, I don't really care that much. You guys are crazy. Um, cause that could be the case too, but I don't think that's the case. All right. Anything else? Got anything more to say, Drew? No, no, no. That's it. They need more colors. All right. Nonsense time. Let's talk about what's happening. All right. Um, this actually happened last week, but it, you know, really got got in the swing of it mm. this week. So I did something in in our home, Brian, mm. and uh, okay. it was a decision my wife and I made, oh. and that was to replace our sofa in the den, which is where we do the movies and video games and stuff. Oh, more of a well, that's a big deal. Media room. You clock a lot of seat time on that. Yes, yeah. that is that's the sitting couch. Mm. Um, we replaced it with a hammock, a love sack, a love sack. A love sack. Uh, no, so it's I, I, it's kind of a giant bean bag, but no beans. It's, uh, it's a giant chunks of bag. it's like it's like recycled chunks of memory foam in the bag. Okay. And we bought a massive one so that all three of us could sit on it together. Oh, that and is big. It is. It's a honker. And so give me yeah, give me a visual. No, how big, no how big is this room. thing? Because I, when it comes to places to sit, I. I'm a larger than average person. And whenever people talk about like big chairs and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, okay, we'll see. We'll see if this is actually big, but like how big is this thing? Give me some like perspective. Um, it's, 
like you would fit just fine on it. Like you and I, you're you're about the same height as me, right? Were you six one? Yeah, six two. Yeah, you're not close. To yeah, I'm, I'm I'm about six. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, as lengthwise, I I can get lost in this thing. It's so huge. Yeah. Um, like, do your feet absolutely. still touch the ground, or are you like? So that's the thing about it. It's not like a jump in the middle and let it suck you in sort of thing. Sure, you could do that. Mm. But what I normally do is I kind of just get some lift and butt drop it so that I make a nice indentation. <laughs> and then I keep my feet on the ground and just kind of sit in it like a chair uh, with you know some back support. If you sit toward the front, you get some back support. Hmm. If you sit in the middle, it's just like a big donut. And you know, <laughs> so you can kind of just, depends, depending on where you sit on it, it's a, it's a different experience. Is this so, thing round or is it like oblong? Yeah, it's round. It's just like a giant It's like one giant that, ball. Basically, yeah. Wow. And but it's not a ball once you you know indent it in certain places. Yeah, like it ends forms up, whatever. Yeah, whoever is yeah. But all three of us we we watched um <laughs> we watched a movie on it for you know the full two hours or whatever uh yesterday uh, as a matter of fact we had the day off it was Fourth of July and we watched that movie Bad Guys on Paramount uh, not Paramount uh, Peacock uh, it was based off a children's book so we loved that but we were comfortable the whole time it was and. <laughs> It was uh, it was probably enough for a fourth person there. Really, it, it it's advertised as being able to have like you know two adults and two kids. Wow. So, but are you there was are you like room, are you like all up on each other, like touching each other? I wouldn't. No, we we weren't touching each other, but I don't think I would want to sit on it with two complete strangers either. Okay. So, I wouldn't want to like I wouldn't want them to be at the DMV, <laughs> but but I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem like you know, sitting on it with my brothers. That would be no big deal. Okay. It's not like you're touching each other, but you're you're close enough. It's an intimate setting. Yes. Okay. Yes. Definitely definitely is it intimate. Hot? So because like my experience with memory foam is it can it can be warm for us furnace body mm-hmm. types. I didn't get hot, but you you get hot kind of just doing anything. I get hot just so standing maybe. and existing. So probably you you probably would get hot. Now the, the there's a cover that goes on it that is this like kind of faux fur that is oh no it it, it no feels way. like the it feels like the inside of a rickshaw sleeve okay that for it the is, winter time that sounds awesome oh it's marvelous <laughs> it is the most glorious at least sometimes i'll just shane will be like drew what are you doing i said i'm just sitting because i'll just be in there just like You're just enjoying. cuddled up oh Oh, now you got me it's, thinking. I want, I want a rickshaw couch. That's that sounds kind it's of. It's awesome. basically this. I mean, they they have different covers you can buy. So that that's another thing is if you get okay. sick of the cover, you can buy a new cover. Uh, they're washable and stuff like hmm. that, so you don't ever have to you know clean the whole thing because you kind of can't. But hmm. they're expensive. They're they're an investment. We financed it because it's just it's ludicrous. But uh, I don't know how. Much, I, I I'm 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 happy with it. I legitimately don't know how much couches cost because. The only couch we've ever bought was ones for the office. The, all the couches Rachel and I have ever owned since we've been, well, in college, I just had whatever couch was left there from the previous tenant, which is probably gross, but we had no <laughs> money. And uh, everything else has been hand-me-downs from our parents. like, And not in great shape, necessarily. Like old hand-me-downs that were just like, well, I'll take that. I had a hand-me-down for my sister when we first got married. We'll take a hand-me-down couch. It's like, I just, I, <laughs> nothing about the couch shopping experience interests me at all. Oh, it's horrible. Shopping for furniture just, is such a nightmare. Yeah. Furniture and mattresses. That's I know, why we, did, I we bought a fur- Casper mattress I build furniture time. and I feel like I don't know how to shop for furniture. 
Like, I feel like I'm it's getting awful. scammed everywhere I go. It's it's such an ordeal, and I don't know why. And it's so mysterious. And it is. you get the furniture places where it's like biggest sale ever every weekend there. And you're Going like, out of business perpetually. Like, There's no way that this is the biggest sale. Like, I don't even know what I'm buying and the, all the terms. Like... If you're, you're you go in and buy a dresser and they're like, okay, cool, well, let's go. It's like um, solid wood, and you're like, this is this is particle board, and they're like, well, solid like, wood right, only that, has to be ten percent actual you. solid wood, and I'm like, that's bullcrap, and you're lying. Yeah, why do you like, have to talk to a person to set this up? Why can't you just go and like take a slip, go check it out, and I don't want to engage with a person. It's a freaking dresser. How many have you had in your life? They're all the same. This is why places. It's a hunk of wood with drawers. This is why like, places why do I need like to talk Ikea to a human about Target this? and all that exists. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's better. Mm. And like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to buy another Casper mattress next time because I don't have to talk to a person. <laughs> I'm going to buy a car on Carvana because I don't want to have to talk to a person. Mm. Like, I, why would I need to talk to somebody about buying an object? Mm. <laughs> If like unless I'm confused and have questions, I don't need to talk to somebody. The internet exists. I can do plenty of research. I think we're finding the. I have no problem with that. I think we're finding the. Why Drew, do you not need to talk to somebody about a dang mattress? We're finding the Drew doesn't like people. <laughs> it's a fluffy thing you lay on. Like come on. I don't need to tell you. Oh my god. Meanwhile, we're going I, on two hours of people listening to us talk about pens, but I guess they're not. They're not. Right, having we're not harassing them. Yeah, they they yeah. didn't come into our store, and we're not like swarming That'd them. That'd be like if we required you to call us to place an order on the phone for a fountain pen. Right. Yeah, that would be annoying. Exactly. Be no, annoying. there are so many people that that you know come in. We've got longstanding. We've had customers that have been shopping with us for ten plus years that have never emailed us before, and that's totally fine. They know what they want. They're getting it done. They have, for some reason or another, felt you know, that we deserve their loyalty and support. So that is fantastic. Let's just keep on doing what we're doing, right? So I, mm, I've i worked retail before, like in-store retail, mm. and I, I I have quit a retail experience before because they wanted me to, this was in a mall, Brian. Mm. They wanted me to stand outside the shop and like flag people down and get them into the shop. Yeah. And I was like, nope. Where do, <laughs> how do I put in my two weeks? Because I am not doing that because I hate that. If I, I will... If someone did that to me, if I want something, I will go into your shop. I'm moseying about them all. I do not need you harassing me on my way to, from point A to point B to come in and buy some leather pants or whatever you're selling. So I was like, nope, not doing that. You know what? The end. I'm with you on that. I don't like being harassed while I'm walking through like a mall or something like that. But you know what I do like? I like the sign spinners that they have at like real estate places and apartment complexes. Oh, sure. You got to respect that's, that. That's, that's entertaining as heck. Did you know they that. actually have like championships for sign spinners? It's like a whole. I'm not. I'm it's not like surprised. a whole thing. You can watch YouTube videos on like professional sign spinners. It's kind of awesome. I don't um, see as much anymore. But uh, yeah, anyway, sorry about that yeah. rant. Well, people um, aren't really shopping as much. That's true. That's true. But anyway, yeah, I bought a love sack. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a they have a store in the in the mall and short pump here near us, Brian. And okay. uh, sitting in them was is absolutely amazing. So I have gone through uh, that store and sat in them before, and I was like. I don't hate this. It's it's pretty amazing. I don't know if I, I'm yeah. loving it. I'll have to talk. I'll um, have to talk to you. You're not the only one in our company that has one of those too. So it's like I got to talk to people that have like sat in it for a while because to me it feels novel. But it's like over time, like would I still enjoy it? Like three. It's six been a months? full. It's been a full week for me. Um, you know, every mm. night, including hours long. Like I've been playing. I played through the entirety of the first Monkey Island game on the Xbox. Okay. Uh, work working on Monkey Island two, and uh, <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, for 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 you know early '90s adventure games, the sack is holding up well. Okay, 
So good, I'll let you know. good gaming, good gaming <laughs> uh, seat. Okay. And movie watching seat. Fair enough. So I don't absolutely. And good throwing your eight year old upon mm, device. My kids are going to be throwing me pretty soon. They're getting <laughs> so friggin' big. Um, um, let's see. Saturday, we went to a birthday party, got my mom to watch the kid. Uh, okay. we both went to, uh, our friend Josh's birthday event mm -hmm. and, uh, he was turning 40. So that was a big deal. Had wow. fun there. I left early because, uh, I, it, it was, it went a long time. You don't time, like, but also you don't I like people. To, We've established that. I mean, I, they're fine, but like <laughs> after three, three hours, you've done what you need to do like for a, the most like part. A, you, but you also. You didn't deny what I just said. You just. <laughs> no, I justify, do. I do you like just justify why it was okay everybody, for you to leave. <laughs> everybody there I loved. I just, I run out of you steam. Had enough, yeah. But also I, I went over to my brother, my brother's house and we watched the uh, UFC event Saturday night, which was mm. exciting and depressing. It was one of those fights where the fights were good competitive yeah. the best guy truly won mm. nothing weird happened well actually one thing weird happened but anyway but no, but none of the fighters we wanted to win uh, won so it was like this was good but darn it so gotcha. that happens gotcha. that happens sometimes that's the nature of it yeah. uh and i'm working i have some i have some uh porch light woes brian oh um okay so you you might know a thing or two about this uh okay. given your history i've messed with some lights yes well, your power washing history. Oh, boy. So I got my house power washed a couple weeks ago. And after that, my two front porch lights no longer functioned. Mm. Um, so there's one on the left and the right of my front door. I think I know, I think I know what happened. They're motion sensor lights. But uh, even after replacing the bulbs, I cannot get the them to work. No, none of my breakers are tripped. Yeah. Um, you have a GFCI the, outlet somewhere that those things are on. It got tripped with the water. And it's got like one of the outlets. It's got like the reset button. You got to push on the outlet. Right, right. I looked. I looked along the front of my house. Mm -hmm. There's no GFI outlets. You got one there. somewhere. It's somewhere. Okay. It's somewhere. Trust me. That's what the that's what the power washing people told yep. me. It's somewhere. Okay. It happens all the time. Yep. Because it's not like okay. Well, I'm, I'm I looked all along the front of the house. Like those things are surprisingly sensitive. So for a GFCI outlet to get tripped, it doesn't take much. But that's mm. almost for sure what's happened. And it's not necessarily that the outlet that tripped is on the outside of the house because you can. I don't have any. I don't have any outside of the house outlets. The only outside of the house outlet. I have a lamp post in the front yard okay. that has some outlets on it, but it's not GFI. It's okay. a, just jabroni. So the, um, so there's different ways that you can wire a, a ground fault protected circuit. You can either do it individually by the outlet you can wire it in series so that whatever the first outlet is, GFCI protects the whole circuit. So every outlet after that in the circuit, you know, if that, if any of those, you know, water or whatever trips, any, any ground fault gets tripped at anywhere in the circuit, it'll pop it at that outlet that has the button on it. So like we have that, our outside outlet I mean, on the outside of our house is wired to our upstairs bathroom. So the the button like next to the sink in our bathroom is the oh. one that I have to press in order to get the outlets to come back oh, on. Oh, so it doesn't even need to be close to the outside because I mean I know where some it's, are. It's in the on house. the same circuit somewhere, but depending on how they. So I just need to go around house. the house pushing all of them. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. One of them, right. it'll be, well, it'll be sticking that. out a little bit, or it might have a light that's on right. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've dealt with those I before. Would I almost just... bet anything that you've got okay. an outlet probably somewhere inside your house. Check in a bathroom or kitchen 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's where I know they are. Yeah, but I didn't somewhere. think for one second that those would mm -hmm. be the ones that my probably, front porch probably. lights are connected. It's to. not unusual what? for that to happen. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, thank you, Brian. I will report back. You're welcome. It's got nothing to do with All your right. lights. You can put the old light bulbs back in because they're not burned out. I can almost guarantee you that's what happened. Is it got tripped and there's just you got to find the outlet that has it or. You can have GFI outlets on the circuit breaker itself. You said that wasn't tripped, but a GFCI outlet will not only have the switch that you need to flip, but it'll have the test button on the circuit itself. Right. You would know if you look in your circuit panel if it has that. I looked button. at my circuit panel. There, there's no nothing. There's no other like than test just button the, the or whatever. Okay. No, just the big yeah. big toggle buttons. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of different ways that it can be wired, but I'm almost willing okay. to bet. Well, I'll start. I'll start with the outlets that. then. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, I might be hitting you up pretty soon too, because uh, Shannon needs a dual monitor uh, stand for her desk upstairs. Okay. And uh, but the desk we have has too big of a lip on the back of the uh, okay. uh, desk. Yeah. So I need to buy a really really long screw and modify okay. an existing one. Mm -hmm. But I also need to find a much longer metal plate bracket, like a, you know an L okay. that I need to attach to the existing one. So. I might need some help locating a, like a really beefy bracket somewhere. I'll make you one. I figured you'd, you'd, you'd be the bracket guy. I'm not joking. <laughs> I am now in that guy. This is, why I'm, <laughs> this is why I'm dumpster diving and pulling metal out of the trash. Because now I'm like, anything made of wood or metal, I'm like, well, I can make you something out of that. <laughs> I, yeah, I just need a, a, an L-shaped piece of metal with some holes in it. Yep. Um, I, so... Yeah. <laughs> That okay. can happen. That can happen. Nice. Send me, send right, me some cool. pictures. Well, we'll talk. I'll, I'll hit you up. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Yeah. What, what do you have going on? Oh, you know, I <laughs> just like, like you, I had something I thought about talking about last week. I already had enough drama with the trailer in the tire situation, which quick update. Um, not only did I replace the tire, I found out the tires were kind of old. And once I took off the other tire, I was like, oh, these tires are kind of dry rotted. So it was just my own negligence that I really should have just replaced those tires sooner. Um, so I did replace you know. I did replace the other tires. And I have two brand new tires on that trailer. And just today, spare. I bought a spare tire. Ah, I had go. such a successful, Drew, before we shot this pen cast, I finished our meeting that we also had this morning together. And I was like, hey, Joseph, you want to go for a ride? And he was like, sure, because it's summertime and our kids have no responsibilities now. So mm -hmm. in a one hour lunch break, I went and picked up the tire, the second tire that I had replaced. I went and picked up some like filters and stuff or some equipment that I need to do maintenance at a second location and went to the trailer place, got a spare because I already had the trailer tire in the back of my car. I was like, if I just actually bring the tire to the trailer place, they can just look and I don't care about tire numbers and all that crap. I got so much information in my head from other things. The last thing I want to know about is random sizes and tires and lug patterns and all that. I'm just like, let me bring the tire in. You all just get me the friggin' tire that I need and I'll be on my merry way. And I will not think about this for 10 years. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. So Joseph nice. was with me doing all these errands and stuff. I got everything done. Nice. Bing, bang, boom. Got back boom. in here. Was here close to on time with you. And I was like. But did you eat lunch? Yeah, I did. I ate lunch. Yep. Hey. It happened. So I, was, I felt so nice. good. I was like. Yes. Dude. So good. So good. Yes. So yeah, that was good. Um, so now the tire thing is all taken care of. But had an even more exciting thing. So this is to continue the story after we had the whole trailer, tire, everything. That was, we drove back on Saturday. This was last week. Okay, that was plenty of drama. Sunday, we just chilled. Great, okay, we had an easy day. 
Well, we go back to work on Monday. No, we didn't. We had Monday off, didn't we? That was Juneteenth, I think. No, that was the following week. Never mind. So we were back at work on Monday. Rachel and I are working away, blah, 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 whatever. The kids are playing. We're like, please get out of the house, see some sunlight, um, and don't look at a screen. So we kick them out of the house. And Ellie starts playing in the driveway. She comes back in and she's like, I need to show you something in the driveway, which I'm like, okay, that could mean anything. And I was like, in, something dead? in the meetings, she was, and yeah, it could mean anything. And Rachel was, awesome. Rachel was like, it's not an unspeakable, is it? Because oh God, no, Rachel didn't want to know that they even exist. No, it wasn't that. She was like, there's a hole in the driveway. And I was like, what? Because we have an asphalt driveway. Yeah, there's a hole in the driveway. I just stepped into a hole in the driveway and I was like, okay. So sure enough, I go out there and look and she's like circled it with sidewalk chalk and made it very clear <laughs> where it is. Um, <laughs> no, but what had happened is there has been this like, you know, if you have a driveway or whatever, you have a road or any parking lot or anything you're familiar with, there's going to be dips and you know, all this kind of stuff. And sometimes you get potholes and all that. Well, there's been this like indentation in part of our driveway. Okay. It had happened a little bit. I'd filled it last year, but it had been cratering a little bit more. And I was like, huh. It's kind of weird. And I noticed it a couple of weeks ago. Well, that was a place where Ellie was kind of playing and she stepped in it, but it actually like cracked open and she could like see through it. So that's what she was talking about. It wasn't like this big dramatic thing. So I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I take like a big, you know, metal, I don't know, I've got like a big metal, like 40 pound, like pry bar type thing. And I start pounding it and pounding across. And I, and I go through and the thing like sinks down. There's like dirt underneath it, but it like sinks down like feet into the dirt and i was like oh that's not great and i'm immediately thinking like is this a sinkhole like is it going to swallow up my house because you like read stuff on the news about sinkholes and it's all in florida right florida or russia and it's like you know sinkholes are just going to swallow up an entire neighborhood right so this is all during the workday on Monday as I'm like, okay, Ellie, don't play there. Okay, let me get the car out of the garage because it was like right outside the garage too. It's like, I don't want to accidentally drive over it and lose our car into a sinkhole in the driveway. And I've never dealt with this before. You've lived in this house for 10 years. So long story short, we called some professionals. I'm trying to tell them we get like all these different companies that fix foundations and all this kind of stuff. I'm describing to them what's happening and they're like, oh, I don't even know what that's all about. And I'm like, okay, you're like the pro. This is your job. This is your job. Like, who do I call? They're like, I don't even know. Maybe like a driveway company. And I'm like, okay, y'all don't know anything. And so I, I got frustrated with calling around for people that don't know what's going on. Come to find out, it's a pretty weird kind of obscure situation. But what I came to find after basically just deciding I need to figure this out for myself and, you know, because, you know, it's like sort of like if you have some kind of ailment and you go looking at WebMD and you're like, well, I've got this weird kind of a growth that's happening here. And you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm probably going to die. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what happens when you first look at Google. But I was yeah. like, let me go out there and dig around this thing, which feels weird because I'm like digging asphalt out and making a bigger hole. I'm like, I got to see what's going on here. I started digging in there. It's really, really soft. And I was like, well, it shouldn't be soft. So for whatever mm. reason that it is soft, I need to get that out of there and I need to not have it be soft anymore and, and fix it. So whatever, even if I have to call a pro, dig it in there. And this is a good little, good little nugget of knowledge, something that my dad passed on to me. I'm not opposed to hiring professionals, but I always like to know what it is I'm dealing with just so that I'm more educated. If it's not something I can fix myself, then okay, at least then I know kind of how to better describe it or get a, a pro who kind of, I can vet them better or whatever it is. Um, but sometimes I can solve it myself and can save all that hassle. 
and that was this situation. So my the thing my dad taught me that I always try to keep in mind and pass on is you always want to give it a look-see. That's what he calls it. So it's like whenever something's going wrong, your refrigerator is making a funny noise, your dryer is knocking and making something weird. Just kind of get in there and give it a look-see. Don't tear it apart to where you can't put it back together, but just look in there and see what's going on. It could be something simple and you pull it out and it fixes it. You don't have to hire somebody. Just It never hurts to tr investigate, right? So that's that was my mentality. So my kids think that they're going to fall into the center of the earth. And Rachel's like, we just had this tire thing happen like two days before. And now there's a sinkhole in our driveway. What is going on? I was like, let's calm down. I'll figure out what's going on. So I started digging in there. Come to find out. I think what happened is whenever they did our driveway 20 years ago or whatever, there was a stump and we would live in the woods and there was a stump that didn't get dug up before the driveway was put down. They just paved over top of the stump. And oh. over the 20 years or whatever that that thing has been underground, that stump has mm -hmm. been slowly decaying and essentially has just kind of softened up. And so the the pretty thick asphalt that is over top of that over the years of being unsupported has just slowly like heated up and all that and it kind of caved in and eventually it just kind of fell you know mm -hmm. and kind of broke in so ah. what i needed to do was widen did you find any leftover wood oh yeah that's that's how i knew is because when i started digging it out i was digging it and it was like it was it was like dirt but like we have we have clay around here like virginia is very pretty distinctly clay and I deal with that all the time that's why we have so much mud um, but as I was digging down I was like this is very like organic this is not like hard clay this is really soft and very dark it, it almost felt like compost and then as I started to get mm. to certain parts of it it was like fibrous and there was even like bark and stuff like that that I was pulling ah. out and, and then as I dug deeper and deeper around it I essentially discovered that you know there were like hard edges around where this hole was that was the hard clay, but kind of in the middle as I was digging down, it was very soft and kind of fibrous. And so as I dug and dug and dug, it very clearly left a shape of what was like a root ball to a tree that kind of like uh. spread out and even had some like, I could tell where the tap roots were coming out for the tree. And cause I do a bunch of tree stuff, I recognize the shape so quickly. And I was like, okay. So I did a little bit of research and essentially watched some YouTube videos and all that. And basically it's not at all uncommon for there to be construction. And what I found more common is like more in people's backyards and stuff. They just have a bunch of logs and all that. And rather than hauling it out, they just cover it all and just let it decay. So any low spots, like really low spots that you have, especially if it's in a low lying part of your yard, that's wet all the time. That's good chance. That's probably why it's like that is because they buried a bunch of logs there a decade or two ago and it's taken that long to kind of break it down. So I was watching all these videos of that situation. I was not able to find any specific situation online where people were dealing with what I dealt with, which was a stump buried under asphalt and then discovering it. So I had to sort of put two and two together, but I'm 99.9% .9 sure that's exactly what happened. And I basically dug it all out. It ended up being a good five feet deep or so. Like it was pretty deep and I had to widen up the hole. It was actually kind of difficult because you know, the, the asphalt is thick. So thankfully I have a inexpensive like concrete saw because I've had to do a bunch of tile and concrete stuff here too. So I cut a bigger hole, you know, I tried to keep it reasonable, but the, the fun part about all this, this is what gives Rachel anxiety. As I'm digging in here and like trying to figure this out, um, 
I look at, you know, where it's located and I'm like, huh, because we had had some electrical work. Like when we, when we added a shed, we had, you know, some electrical done. So um, when the utilities like Miss Utility in, the U- in Virginia, that's who you call for like, they mark your power lines and all that kind of stuff. Well, when we had the line run for our shed, they marked all the other lines and I was smart and I took a picture of it at the time. So I was like, in the future, ah. if ever I do any work, I want to know where those lines are. Cause like, Technically, I'm I'm digging here, and I should have probably called Miss Utility here. But I like I took the picture. They came. I took the picture. I haven't changed anything, so I know what it is. Well, basically, that's really basically sort of in the path of where the main line runs from our transformer into the meter on our house. So there's a good 200 amp <laughs> line running somewhere in that vicinity. So I was like, not exactly wanting to go grab like a big old power tool or go hacking away with a giant shoveler pickaxe. Good call. So I was like, this is the third or fourth time I've been in a scenario where I've needed to dig within a pretty reasonable proximity of where a main power line is running on my various properties. So I basically went in there with like a garden trowel and like surgically, like archeologically (laughs) removed all of the junk from the stump in the middle of my driveway while I'm like, okay, I can't dig hard enough to where if I was to strike a power line, it would like electrocute me and kill me. So I like, I have to, I, I know how they do those lines. It's very well protected and stuff, but I had to just kind of carefully dig it all out. I did not hit any lines or anything like that, but I was just, I was really exploratory kind of going in there and digging out a little bit at a time. And eventually what I found is like, oh, I've, I've kind of dug it all out now. And it's like, well, okay, what do you do when you dig out a soft hole and you need it to not be a hole anymore? You fill it. Like, so that's what I did. And I researched like, how do the people remediate this? And it's like, oh, you fill it with rock or you fill it with concrete. So I, I was like, well, I'm going to do better. So I did like this web of rebar because I still had like where all the tap roots and everything were. Of course you did. So I like had this Of course this you did. This is like after work. This is on a Monday. So I'm not like, oh, let me just take a day off. This is right after we were gone for a week. So I was like, I still got to do all my stuff. So then it's like, I would finish up the work day and then I'd be like, okay, let me go outside in like the 90 degree heat and go lay on the asphalt and dig out by hand <laughs> this old this old compost from the stump in the sinkhole in our driveway. It's things like this that just keep me humble. So I um, end up doing that, but you know, I did it for a couple of days and you know, Wednesday rolled around and I was like, Rachel, I just want to get this thing over with. So I did a first for me, which was, I knew I wanted to fill it with concrete. I had rebar and stuff like that. So I did the whole rebar web. It was very ugly, but I was like, I'm literally just trying to fill a hole. This is nothing structural per se. The rebar is probably overkill. So I went and I rented a concrete mixer and I rented a um, concrete vibrator, which is super cool. It like shakes and gets all the air out of the the concrete when you're doing it. They do it a lot for when they do like rebar construction because there's a lot of air pockets. And I knew that there was going to be a lot of air pockets in the way that I was pouring this thing. So I went and rented that equipment at like six o'clock at night on Wednesday. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to do this until I'm done. Like, I'm just going to get this thing knocked out because it was like, it was concrete. It was like, I want to pour it all in one kind of session, you know, so it's all one solid piece of concrete. I don't want to do it over multiple days. So I was like, I just made up my mind. I was like, I'm going to go rent this thing. I'm just going to do it until I drop and it's all going to get done and then I'll return it tomorrow night or whatever. So I rented it for 24 hours and you can rent it for like four hours or by the day. So I like rented it by the day, but I had a first, I finished it that night and they told me like, Oh, if you get it back to us by nine o'clock tomorrow morning, we'll only charge you for the four hour rate. And I was like, boy, that's ambitious. 
but I actually did it like all that night. Way overbought on the concrete, bought a whole pallet, which was 42 bags, ended up using 11. So now I have 31 extra bags of concrete. Way miscalculated. You know, it's just like one of those things where you're like, oh, well, it was a hard hole to measure. So I was like, well, the opening's about this size. And I know it's about this depth. I'll kind of round up. And then I kind of round it up and round it up. And then I got there and, you know, they were shorthanded. And I was like, well, I can either load 30 some bags by hand and, you know, and wheel it out myself, or I can just have them get a forklift and put a whole pallet on my truck. So I was like, okay, I'll get a whole pallet. So after so much rounding up, I ended up with way too much material. But I didn't care because I was like, I just want to get this thing taken care of. Still probably cheaper than hiring somebody. Oh, for sure. Concrete's cheap. And plus I need concrete for other various projects too. So I was like, well, okay, I just saved myself a bunch of other trips. But long story short, I ended up digging out a sinkhole from an old stump buried under my driveway two decades ago. And now I know how to fill it. It's all rock solid now. Um, need to let it cure for a while. Yeah. And then basically I, I poured it until it was like two or three inches, you know, from the surface. And then I'm going to pack in like a cold blacktop asphalt patch, which I did a bunch of that last year for other reasons. So I know very well how that process works and, uh, yeah, feel really good about that now. So I was able to take it out, take care of it in a couple of days. And now I know because every single little bump that I look at now in the driveway, I'm like, there's probably a stump under there. I might, I might have to do this 20 more times, you know, cause if it's, if it was done 20 years ago, all of those stumps now would start to decay. And so I'm like, that's where I was like, you know, I could hire somebody, but I might be doing this once or twice a year, every year now until it's taken care of. So it's like, I don't hate knowing how to do that myself. (laughs) Good call. You know, speaking of the miserable heat, I want you to know something, Brian. Okay. My family and I got in our car in the Mazda, which has leather seats. Archer's legs were in pain Mm, in the hot car. Shannon's legs were in pain. Guess who was just fine because he was wearing jeans in the summer. Hey. This guy. Props to you. Defense 101. You know what also works is cargo shorts because they're longer. So they'll uh, (laughs) protect the back of your thighs pretty well too. (laughs) Oh man, props to you. Yeah, so that was my big adventure last week. And then we went to like three pools this weekend with the kids for various things. We went to Kings Dominion, did that. Couldn't find my water shoes. Um, so speaking of like hot body parts on whatever, yeah, big mistake going to like, they essentially have a water park within the amusement park. Oh, you were barefoot the I was whole barefoot time. walking around to all the different wave pools and stuff. And then you mean skipping and trotting painfully. It was probably. pretty rough. It was hot. So like looking for puddles uh, wherever you can find them. Puddles. Yeah. Like yeah. there were like picnic tables with like people that had an umbrella. I was like walking uncomfortably close and standing in front of them just being like, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is weird, but my feet are killing me. I'm just going to stand in oh. a shady spot. And so God, until I can make it awful. to the next table. It was pretty dumb. I'd be like walking like, around with like a bucket or something, splashing a pathway for myself. It was pretty, it was, it was pretty rough. I was like walking in the grass, That's brutal. you know, wherever I could. Yeah. And then oh, man. we were doing the lazy river and um, they made everybody get out of the lazy river. Uh, and I was like, well, that's kind of weird. It's like a half hour, half hour before the park was supposed to close. Oh, and we no. saw all the lifeguards do this and then this, which if you're curious what two thumbs down and a squiggly means, that's because... That means there's a snake that's gotten into the lazy river, which is basically oh. Rachel's worst nightmare. Okay. We didn't I was see thinking it. about something. We didn't see it. Okay, good. But all the life guys were doing that sign, they made us all get out. And then we heard everybody kind of afterwards saying that that's okay. what happened. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. And then some neighbors who 
neighbors of friends that we know, not people that we really know that well. Um, <laughs> in that whole kerfuffle, um, one of her kids got out at a different part of the lazy river and essentially got lost for 20 minutes. So then we had to go help a friend's neighbor find their kid. So burning feet, <laughs> snake in the pool, oh. snake in the lazy river, lost kid, found the kid who's fine, you know, all worked out. But that was to kick off our, our long weekend and all that. And it was just like, boy, we've had some excitement here recently in the Goulet family. I think we're good for a while. So we kept it low key the rest of the weekend. I just did some like maintenance on my equipment. I did a little power washing, by the way, too. Um, but yeah, did some of that. And uh, yeah, anyway, a lot of excitement, a lot of good things happening around here. But that was that was mostly my situation. So we we're running long. We'll move it along. I don't have actually any company updates uh, today. I don't know if you thought of any, Drew, but we might just skip that whole segment and yeah, go ahead fine. and wrap this whole thing up. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for watching. Please leave us some feedback about how we're doing. Let us know if you have any tips or tricks or any of the feedback that we've asked about because we asked for a bunch of things, actually. Um, let us know any questions that we can answer on the super future episodes of the show. Um, check out goodlaypens.com for your fountain pen, ink, and paper needs. Be sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, please, all that good stuff. Uh, if you want to email us, you can send us an email at pencast at goodlaypens.com. I actually do get a decent number of emails through there, so it helps with the questions and whatnot. And I have a random fact as we close out the day today. This is related to the history of plastic because I thought it was kind of fun, a little plastic question. Um, so let's look at the first plastics that we know of. Uh, Mesoamerican cultures, Olmec, Maya, Aztecs around 1500 BCE uh, used natural latex and rubber to make containers and clothes water resistant. It's pretty resourceful. But Alexander Parks in the UK in 1856 patented the first man-made bioplastic called Parkasine, made from cellulose nitrate, which might sound familiar, Drew. It does. Parkasine was a hard, flexible, and transparent plastic. And then John Wesley Hyatt in the US in the 1860s made a fortune with Parks' invention. Sounds very capitalistic of him. Uh, the Hyatt brothers improved plastics malleability of cellulose nitrate by adding camphor and renamed the plastic as celluloid. The aim was to produce billiard balls, which was really popular at the time. And they were made of ivory, which was a non very renewable resource and rather unethical at the time. So they were trying to replace those, um, which is kind of interesting because camphor itself is volatile. <laughs> Yeah, didn't the billiard balls explode? They could if you struck them hard enough. So I remember hearing it was an that. improvement over ivory, but it was not the long-term solution. Um, the invention uh, itself is considered as the earliest example of man-made bioplastics by many. Um, and it's that camphor in the celluloid that makes it so volatile. That is the same, you know, celluloid uh, that the real celluloid that we talk about with fountain pens, that's the stuff. That's what it's made of. So um, for those same reasons... Um, it's also volatile. It's, it's the camphor in it that makes it volatile. So, um, you know, don't go, uh, um, what do they call it? Like de desk drumming or whatever, like with the pens and all that kind of stuff. Uh, don't do that with your, uh, true celluloid pens. Not that you probably would, but you know, theoretically it's, uh, you could light those pens on fire and they'll, they'll burn up and all that kind of stuff. And that's why they have to store it in a very specific way. Cause if you store a lot of that material, it can be, I know Monograppa had a fire, um, because of some celluloid material and stuff years ago. Um, not uncommon. It's, uh, there you go. So well, neat history of plastics there. It's much better now, not as volatile, but they had to figure it out. They had to learn somehow. So the hard way, the hard way. there you go. That's all we got for you this week. Thank you everybody. 
and we will catch you next time right on.